for people to show up anyone has any comments to start the day or whatever hop right up give me just a minute yeah kind of the interesting news of the day first for zephyr stuff um so zephyrswap.io is the official url of the new exchange um you should probably bookmark that for later use. Zephyrswap.com and Zephyrswap.org and some other ones, some squatters showed up and stole the URLs apparently. Um, we don't know if that's like future scammers or just, you know, whoever being an asshole. So the the guys apparently went with Zephyrswap.io in order to kind of like secure some sort of domain name with that title in it. Um, anyway, um, apparently the the little exchange, I don't know if it's really called a DEX exactly, because I'm not sure it's really, it's not really a decentralized system exactly, but it's basically an exchange of sorts. Um, and it will rely upon uh, you connecting essentially your appropriate wallets so it's going to create you like a new um destination wallet if you switch from like you exchange from say zephyr to bitcoin or vice versa so we'll have to see how that plays out in terms of its actual utility but the goal is to try to maintain um privacy between privacy coins so if you have monero to zephyr for example you'd get um Nobody will be able to trace that. And then um, <clears throat> additionally, it's kind of like if you're switching between uh, privacy to an, a non-privacy coin, that would also be basically private because it's going to give you a new address to use. So you'll be able to have, um, you know, you don't have to put in your existing wallet address, things like that. So that uh, looks like they're thinking about it. And ultimately, version two, there might be some mixer functions included. <clears throat> and then um, since this, any website technically can be censored by um, agencies and such, um, ultimately the system will be accessible through a command line in case the site goes down. But uh, ultimately front ends, you know, cannot ever really be taken down by governments and such in any meaningful way because you can just make more front ends. Um, in fact, you could put those front ends on decentralized systems like Flux Network or Akash or something like that. It makes it really tough to get rid of them completely because you can just spin up new ones. So anyway, um, <clears throat> there's going to be some interesting 
ideas there. I don't really know how safe that system is, by the way. Um, so if you're going to try to LP there or whatever, um, I would basically assume it's like <laughs> entertainment pr purposes only. <coughs> Excuse me, until proven otherwise. Um, I did make the suggestion that maybe like if they incorporated Chainlink CCIP, that'd be really cool because you could then swap to anything on the Ethereum network from Zephyr if you were to have that capability. Um, so these are some kind of potential ideas. Let's see what they come up with. Um, again, I don't really have anything to do with the the teams or you know, and that apparently this the Dex team is different from the actual original coin team supposedly i'm not really sure if that's true or not but um basically uh yeah the security of these things is unknown um how safe they are is unknown etc so i i wouldn't um funnel through too much money through those things unless you know um that you're you're okay with losing it or whatever so i think the reality is like these things when they're fresh they're full of risks and um you should be careful <clears throat> um, I'm not really like mentioning it because I vouch for them necessarily because um, I don't really know them. <laughs> I'm mostly mentioning it because it's um, like the more uh, decentralized or centralized ways we have to move in and out of Zephyr or Monero, things like this, the less likely like the concerns are for DEX or sex listings in terms of future utility of the uh, actual products. So I think. Uh, um, this is just one way to sort of get there. And I think other ways to get liquidity into Zephyr might be, um, if it's feasible to incorporate something like a Chainlink CCIP into Zephyr and maybe have like a liquidity pool for Zephyr on say Ethereum, and you'd be able to swap between those using C or like, actually the, let's take that back. The liquidity pool would be in the Chainlink CCIP system essentially and you'd be able to swap in and out of anything that's chain link connected to something like this so i think that could be very interesting um <clears throat> basically censorship resistant ways to be able to get in and out of privacy coins um, is something that needs to come out of this um to really make things like monero and, and zephyr and such viable for normal people um Anyway, so that's that looks like it's coming out. Um, they got the domain name. It's there's no website or anything up, but if you're going to bookmark it, it's zephyrswap.io and not um, .com or the other ones that are fakes. So watch out for that. Um, so it's an interesting thing that happened. Um, one of the kind of like crypto influencer types that has a fair amount of engagement. Um, I think his name is Nagato. Uh, yeah, Nagato. His Twitter handle is at Crypto Nagato. Decided to um, pick up some Zephyr and post about it. Um, and uh, he tends to post about a lot of small cap gem type things. Got pretty good engagement on his post, like 420 likes and 68 retweets. Um, basically posted that, you know, Zephyr at 1390 was 80% down from all time high. Pulled the trigger. Um, when there's blood in the market, good time to average in. So, yeah, he made a pretty good buy at that price. In fact, his average is less than mine, which is pretty good. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so he, um, uh, after that, we, we saw kind of a big spike in volume. Um, let me see what Zephyr's volume is now over the last 24 hours. 
but clearly a new set of users has arrived. Um, yeah, 24-hour trading volume is again at $2.15 million on a market cap of $53 million, which is really, really good for a market cap coin of this size. Um, we were trading all the way down to like almost three, three to $400,000 a day. Before that, and uh, this is a really big volume spike. Um, I would say it's one of the larger volume days uh, since Zephyr was a thing. Um, this is bigger than the volume spike we had. Like, well, let's take that back. This is, yeah, this is bigger than the volume spike we had when um, Zephyr broke out of like $2.65 and then took off. Um, so this is a good sign. And usually with a whole bunch of new users, you essentially have a bunch of people that are new dollar cost averagers or people who are like going to scale in. So maybe they bought it, you know, 15, 16 bucks. And then if it dips below that, you know, they're going to see that as a discount, buy some more potentially. So I think um, given that we've had a bit of a consolidation for about a month, our low for Zephyr was about $10.54. We're now at 17. Um, my suspicion is, is that the, the bottom is in <clears throat> finally. Now we've had some fake outs before, like wait, one, two, three, four, like four fake outs before where, you know, we had these little pumps and then continue to go down, downhill. Um, you know, which makes sense because like in all coins, you know, 80% retracements from impulse moves is pretty common. And also a fair amount of Zephyr has been mined as well. And some of that could have been sold off. And so, you know, there's, there's catalyst for lower price action, of course, but basically, um, with kind of like a new influencer. I think he has like maybe 70K or 80K followers, something like that, 80K, I think. And, um, you know, it's just a different group of people, which is good, because um, you really don't want to kind of have just the same group of people selling back and forth to each other. <laughs> and, um, and I think it'd be very, very helpful if like maybe one substantial YouTube influencer type also latches onto it. So something to try to do is like tag you know, some YouTube folks and whatever to try to cover it, um, discuss what it does. Typically, the YouTuber channels, they tend to pick up stuff like when things reach maybe like the top 300 coins. And even then, it's kind of like a maybe. Um, pretty much one substantial uh, coin owner who happens to also have a YouTube channel usually is what it takes to really get a sudden boost in attention. Um, if you recall, like the last sort of like attention pump or hype cycle, <clears throat> this was kind of like at a breakout of like uh, six bucks. That's certainly when I heard about it and bought it. And so certainly like everyone we know, you know, bought right around that $6 level. So um, obviously like that was part of it is just us buying, but also part of it was that um, at the time, a whole bunch of miners and stuff also released videos on YouTube. So there was kind of like this confluence of influence or whatever you want to call it, like attention, where everyone sort of paid attention at one time and then the, the coin pumped like crazy. So um, it's good to kind of be paying really close attention to like how these pumps occur. Like, where did all the attention come from? Why did it happen? Was it organic? Was it what? And I'd say like a vast majority of it was really, really organic at that time. Um, you had a coin that already kind of like delved into like the, you know, sub 5 million market cap or something had really consolidated pretty nicely. Hash rate was going well. 
miners were getting interested in all of a sudden a whole bunch of minor mining um, pools and such like um, um, basically adver- we're advertising their pools and please join our pools. And they were, you know, putting together videos about how to mine Zephyr. They're putting videos about, you know, advertising their particular um, mining pool. And so what ended up happening was, is like a bunch of YouTube videos came out at once. And then like several small cap sort of um, video content creators on YouTube produce some little videos and you wind up with a bit of a pump there. So uh, couple that with, you know, the the relatively illiquid state of coins of this size on places like Mexi and whatnot and a bunch of other small exchanges, you know, obviously the coin's going to pump really high. Um, as we all know, like market caps aren't real until they're consolidated. So we've had from, you know, November, uh, what was it? The peak at November, like 23rd um, till now to essentially consolidate this range, which is the $52 down to the $10 range. And generally in cryptos, you know, like, you know, you'll eventually find some bottom. Things will start to trickle up a little bit. People start developing confidence you'll break some prior levels and then next thing you know, you're off to the races. So I think getting um, Nagato to like get into Zephyr helped, you know, there was a pretty good size, you know, set of candles there as new people showed up. The next sort of resistance levels, um, you know, I think, well, number one, this $18, $17 level at this point is um, I think like the core resistance for zephyr if you look at the total volume traded at this level it's the highest compared to when it was like i don't know a dollar um with these volume profile charts i tend not to i tend to negate the very bottom bars because like when coin prices are like a dollar two dollars volume tends to be very high um but that volume um you know is it well anyway you get a lot of volume but like usually as you go up in these things, um, the volume profile indicators are not uh, normalized for uh, price. So what you'll find is like the higher the price of something goes, like um, the, the the shorter those volume bars tend to look on volume profiles. Um, so you can't really like rely upon them fully as comparing them to different like price ranges. So at this point, I would say 17 to $18 range is the main volume resistance. It was served as sort of support and floor price for about a month in December to January. And um, now we just like, as we float past that, if we can break away, then um, the next little bit of volume resistance is like 28 bucks. This is where like a lot of coin was traded. Um, There's a FIB level at 25, 52. So really like anything past 25 bucks and you're probably off into the races as far as attention. It's interesting how charts are like how they modify your thinking. Like <laughs> you look at them and um, you'll post charts at the bottom of, of, of coins, like local price. Like you don't know the exact bottom, you, you know, like the, the most recent bottom and every level that a coin bottoms out, whether it was a $17 and then a 10 bucks and it kind of flattens out, you'll find that those of us who sort of know what we're doing, will sort of buy a little bit at each level. Um, other people are just like, if it doesn't drop 80%, I'm never going to buy, or it doesn't drop 90%, I'm never going to buy. Like those kind of weird absolutes doesn't, don't really make sense. Like, unless you are going to do this across a wide swath of coins 
So if you have like 10 coins, you're like, I'm only going to get the one that drops 80%. That's fine. You can do that. But the other problem is the, the coins that perform uh, worse in terms of retracements don't always, you know, perform as well on the next impulse either. So you might be buying into a cheaper coin that may not necessarily perform as well. On the other hand, yes, if you start scaling in early, you might have a bag that goes into the red for a period of time. So you just have to like pick your poison, but there's no perfect way to do it really. Um, but, and then there's certainly nothing about like drawing charts and shit that tells you the exact price to buy things at. So that's not what these are intended to do. Um, but we will notice that like when uh, you get like a reversal, meaning like um, a real pretty decent turnaround in terms of price action. And, you know, you, you start breaking prior resistance levels and start climbing up people get excited again. So there are some people that like won't buy something like a Zephyr until it's over $25. Um, you know, right now it's at like 17 bucks. Like why are some people only going to buy when it goes up? Well, they feel like they don't feel comfortable with the idea that if I bought it at 10 bucks, it might go to five. So like that 50% dip for them is just too much pain to, to like think about. So what they'd like to know is, are there buyers coming in? Is there confirmation here? And so they'll wait for like, you know, a major resistance area to be broken um, or like getting close to prior high in terms of FIB levels. Or some people just wait till the high gets broken and, you know, wait for $52. Some people will even wait like not only for that to happen, but price to go up and then retest that high. So, you know, like <laughs> depending on how much confirmation you need and what kind of setup you're looking for, especially people that are trading on leverage. Um, they'll look for different components of this. I like, but I find it kind of weird, like to wait for um, breakout areas, especially early in a bull market when, you know, practically every random coin gets a bid, like everything goes up and people buy the bottom of fucking everything, like especially in the top 1000 coins. Like if you remember, you know, 2000, 2001, like quite literally every coin went up. Go get the chart for any coin you can imagine. You'll, you'll see a pump. Um, like it could be the complete most worthless coin <laughs> and it went up. So the thing to note is like we're already at like the five to 600 market cap here with Zephyr in terms of ranking. The odds that you're going to catch a bid as prices dip are pretty high. So there's some point at which these things will get a floor and someone's going to buy. And you just have to panic. You don't have to panic about that. Um, it's just how bull markets are. And um, it doesn't, it's not specific to this coin at all. Um, so it's just a way to think about all of this. And, and if it was in a bear market, okay, fine. Like you might have to ride a lot of downside no matter what price you buy. But, um, and your time preference has to be much longer because in a bear market, I mean, I bought like, I might have bought like chain link at 10 bucks and then it drops to five. I'm like, uh oh. You know, so, and then I bought more at lower prices, but um, I had to wait like a year and a half, right, for a bull market to really make my bag go up. And, you know, I'm here now and my bag is up, so it's all good. But, um, like, there is a time, you have to pay your dues in time at some point, and those dues in time are much shorter in terms of opportunity cost in uh during a bull market than uh, in a bear market of course that's the, that's the main difference and in a bull market like everything's going up so every dip gets bought and um 
um, every little piece of news gets retweeted and everyone goes fucking crazy. So, so the, the hype cycle, um, there's a local hype cycle for the individual coin, but then there's the like general hype cycle of the overall bull market. Um, definitely, um, if you look at Google Trends now, there is some trend with crypto picking up for sure. Um, like take a blue chip like Chainlink. Um, you know, Google Trends was, you know, in the bottom 10th percentile of all searches for Chainlink, like maybe um, just, uh, you know, a month or so ago. And now that's up to like almost 25th percentile or 25% um, of the, from the high in terms of Google Trend searches. Chainlink is a good bellwether for, um, for general crypto searches. But to have that really, you know, get back to levels that we hadn't seen in a long time implies that people are searching now, they're allocating some money. And what will typically happen is, is they'll throw a little bit, newbie will come in, they'll throw a little bit of money to something like Chainlink. Um, they're going to freak out when the thing pumps like, you know, 100%. They're like, holy shit, my bag's going up. I should get some more before, you know, before it's too late. And there's going to be like a FOMO cycle that happens here. And I think we're very close to that. We're in the kind of, if you look at the um, the classic crypto, I'm not crypto, but, um, you know, stock trading curve where you have this gigantic peak and euphoria and then depression and whatever else, that, you know, classic curve, we are now past sort of the disbelief. Um, so you have this initial sort of pump and then you have this disbelief pullback. And that's been going on for the last few months. And then the next thing would be like the hope cycle. Hope is where like everyone sort of starts seeing excitement because you're now breaking the previous high of the, um, you know, like October, November time period. And then um, you have a lot more users and attention than you did six months ago, nine months ago, who are back in the game. And then they all pour in money and everything pumps. So the mistake is not grabbing pretty much anything and everything at the, you know, during these dips and, you know, like worst case scenario, it dips some more and you have to wait for a few months. Who gives a shit? Reality is like, you won't know for sure if you're going to have a crypto dip again of any significance. But I would say at this stage in the cycle, after pretty much at this point, two years of, you know, bear market, if you include this as part of it, um, or like more than two years, actually, like, like, you know, from peak to, to trough, it's like maybe two plus years. So if you think about it that way, like you, um, you, you, I mean, like if you're not fully allocated. I'm not sure what people are doing exactly. You should probably be mostly fully allocated in terms of your, whatever assets you think you want. Um, I am, um, <laughs> I actually got a funny situation, um, at work. There was an accounting error of some kind over the last couple of years. And I, um, boss calls me in, um, not exactly the boss, but whatever that there's a guy that calls me in and he says, Hey, by the way, um, you know, we, we miscalculated how much you're going to get paid for the last two years. So he gave me this gigantic check. Um, so I'm like, my wife is like, Hey, don't go spend it all in crypto right, right away. I'm like, yes, ma'am. Um, except that's crossing my fingers. Um, anyway, uh, so we'll see how that goes, but I need to figure out what to buy with that. Um, anyway, um, so like if there's a dip, I've got plenty of money now for the dip. Um, it's interesting how much money they owed me. Um, it was a lot. <laughs> like it's probably like, you know, a year's salary worth of money, um, all at one time. So like, oh, we're going to deposit in your bank this month. I'm like, hurry the fuck up. I got shit to buy. <laughs> but anyway, um, so, um, yeah, I, th I think we're in that phase now where I think like we should be largely fully allocated. 
you know, BTC has done its thing. Even if it pulls back at this point, it would be bullish for altcoins in that like the ROI is going to be better with alts than BTC and um, should be pretty straightforward to, to play this game. So I think um, the other thing I mentioned the other day with Zephyr in particular is that, you know, it was following pretty closely the early Caspa chart or a lot of other early proof of work, you know, coins that have done well following the chart patterns and pretty much the amount of time it takes to go from previous peak, which is $52, build a nice like looking chart on the daily and then run up. Um, Caspa did that like peak to peak was about 90 days. So $52 getting back to that would theoretically be like February 21st. I'm not saying it's going to be exactly that day, but like timing wise, it's about right. And notice, like right when the chart looks just about right, new person buys, new influencer shows up, Nagato decides to um, tweet something, and next thing you know, all his followers are buying. So you have a whole bunch of new bottom buyers who are going to be very happy because um, they bought like at 14 bucks, and as it goes up, they're going to be celebrating the coin. And when they celebrate the coin, they're going to be posting about it, tweeting about it, whatever the fuck else. So this is how this sort of cycle works, is that you want a lot of new people to buy at the bottom. Um, not just the existing players who are watching the chart, but new people also. So it's like it's like the time you want to tell your friends or whoever, because if new people are happy, they're gonna like say proactive things about your chain. They're not gonna you know attack you from shilling at the top and whatever the fuck else. So like um, clearly like the way I handle crypto and how I talk about it is like usually coins that I'm interested in, I continue to talk about them while they're low. Like I you know. In other words, like, you know, I'm perfectly happy having spaces on stuff when it's at the top. I'm perfectly having fun having spaces or whatever at the bottom. Um, but like, you know, don't think that, you know, just because you happen to show up when I'm talking about some of the top that I'm trying to sell it to you at the top. That is not the case. You buy whatever the fuck you want when you want. That's your business. Um, you make a mistake. It's on you. And I'm going to fucking piss on your grave if you go fuck your life up with your crypto. So, so understand this now. <laughs> like, I will be absolute sociopath on your ass if you start coming back at me with bullshit. So all of these things can go to zero. Uh, and uh, you never know, like, what the price action is actually going to do. Um, and, uh, you know, gamble what you want. But that's the way to think about it. That's what I'm thinking. That's how I look at things like Zephyr, things like whatever. But these are all nascent projects. They're really early. I don't know the team from a hole in the wall. And the reality is, is that, you know, you know, 10 years from now, if, if the project is doing really good, then we can all sort of shake hands and go, okay, well, that was a pretty good deal. If everything goes to zero for some reason, because something bad happens, then we'll all be sitting around looking at each other like we're, we're all imbeciles. We bought too much. So, um, yeah, you, you know, have, have what you think you can afford to lose in whatever crypto things, have fun with it. Um, sort of like, learn something about the price action and whatever, and then like um, allocate accordingly. Um, and I think that's a simple sort of choices here. Um, let's see what else is going on. Uh, another chart that's looking pretty decent with a little bit of recovery. Kajira is looking pretty good. A lot of us here are Kajira fans as well. Um, Kuji, of course, is a project. It's a new layer one chain that opened up last year. Um, after, the crash of Terra, um, Kuji was a really good liquidation engine on Terra, and the team is really smart. They created a whole new blockchain, and it's just a beautiful um, user experience. So a bunch of us have KUJI, Kuji tokens. 
And um, you can get these on Osmosis. They're on Mexi also. If you happen to be on, uh, um, if you happen to be on uh, Mexi for Zephyr or something, and um, I find that uh, their execution's good. They're putting together um, ongoing new partnerships and things. I know they have like Dow Dow connecting to them now, which um, allows you to do some cool like Dow stuff with the tokens within that system. Um, my criticism of Kujira would be that like. Um, there's still not enough stuff that's tradable on a lot of these layer ones, not just Kajira, but Injective and others. Like my suggestion was like incorporating something like Chainlink CCIP so you can bring in all sorts of other assets like gold and some different things people can uh, create. And then if you have more assets, then you can have like interesting bot trading platforms against some of these assets and bring more TVL. Um, now, plus side is that uh, Kuji is. Um, increasing its tvl um on a steady basis which is cool um in fact let's see what kind of tvl it has now i think it's like 130 mil or something like that uh with a market cap of the coin of about 450 mil still a relatively illiquid coin there's some whales and things selling and that had been kind of like pulling price down a little bit but usually as prices go up whales stop to stop selling and you know kind of hold on to their coins and things will pump again um, I think a rational market cap for Kujira for this bull market might be around mm, 5 billion or something like that. Um, rational as in like, you know, it's consistent with prior L1s during bull markets. Um, it's not rational in terms of the actual value of the chain. Like that's just not how this stuff works. Like the numbers go to irrational levels, but they're predictably rational. Maybe that's the best way to describe it predictably rational so the prices of something like Gujira can go to 5 billion it's currently at 450 million so that would be about a 10x from here so 35 to 50 dollar Guji is probably uh, possible um you know and like i think this is one where you could probably be pretty comfortable being a bag holder as well so let's say the price of the coin drops and you're not happy um, they're building so much stuff that the odds that you're going to get price going up in the future, even if it doesn't go up now, is pretty good. Um, but I do think it's going to pump with the rest of the altcoin space. I don't have any big, big concerns about that. Um, and uh, Kuji is not inflationary. That's another nice thing. Uh, you'll notice when you look at their uh, market cap, the FDV or fully diluted valuation is the same as the market cap because basically all potential coins, um, to my understanding, are in circulation. So um, the, uh, and the circulating supply is like 122 million. Total supply is 122 million, 374. So like really, you only have like, I don't know, 30, 20K, 20K or 30K um, coins somewhere. I don't know if that's in a community pool or whatever, but that's not very many. Um, anyway, so Kajira, you can get, um, uh, and you can manage it using Kepler wallet, K-E-P-L-R. Um, you can just enter the Kujira um, dApps and things into the Kujira web browser, and off you go. Um, again, you can get this on Mexi. You can get it on um, uh, on Osmosis, which is the DEX of... Uh, actually, I take that back. Osmosis is not a great place to get it. Liquidity is kind of weak. You can just go to the decks of Kujira, which is Finn, and you could transfer in something like Atom or Osmo tokens or something to trade there. Anyway, just take a look at the Finn FIN uh, decks for Kujira. You might find, uh, you know, what coins can be easily transferred in. 
but usually Adam's pretty fungible for uh, buying and selling stuff within Cosmos coins. All right. Um, what else here? Um, let's see. We've talked about injective in the past. Um, I kind of sold my injective around, I don't know, like 42 bucks or something like that. It's now at about 35. I kind of was in it just for a trade. Like I bought it at 25 and I was kind of watching this, like the chart top out a little bit. I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to sell it. Um, I didn't buy any back. Um, and I didn't have a huge amount to begin with. I took that, the profit from that and bought Chainlink at like 12 bucks. So, um, I'm kind of happy with that because Chainlink's now at 18. Um, I, me personally, I have like, there's a lot of half decent looking charts, but I have really cycled out of like, um, sort of like pumper tokens that are like over, over hyped, overpriced. And I've moved a lot of that shit into Chainlink because I feel like for the size of my bags, like it makes more sense to not fuck around. And it just makes more sense to buy something that is, pretty much guaranteed to go up in my mind and has relatively little downside. And I think to me for this season, the undervalued like system uh, or, or project or whatever you want to call it of the space is clearly chain link. Like they just look at what they're accomplishing um, in terms of real world assets and TradFi or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, there's just no comparison at this point. So I think to me, if you have a large amount of money and you need to make sure it's reasonably safe, um, Chainlink has proven itself since 2019 to be a safe place to park money so long as you buy coins at a reasonable price. Like, you know, obviously, if you buy high and it goes down, you're going to be a bag holder for a while. But I think at these levels, you know, anything sub 20 bucks, which is where we are now, and that's a fair thing. So I, I've sort of like consolidated some of my assets a bit. I've held on to sort of like Zephyr as my microcap play. Um, I've held on to. Uh, Kujira is kind of like a balanced sort of mid cap thing now because I've had Kujira from lower prices, but like it's 450 mil now. So if you're a buyer at this point, it's kind of mid cap, I guess you could call it. And so that was kind of my gamble on that sector or that price, you know, that market cap range. And then um, for the large cap, I think the most obvious gamble for the season is going to be Chainlink. Um, if BTC and ETH do well, Chainlink is going to do better. If um, even like 50% of what Sergey Navarov says is about to be implemented happens, especially if it happens during the bull market, it's going to fucking go completely apeshit. Um, but Sorry, I think, who? Mm -hmm. Stephen who? Sergey Navarov, the, the original. Oh, Sergey. Okay, yeah, sorry. No, I thought you were talking about Stephen uh, Nefrov for a second then. And like, I thought you were no, talking no. about the APA conspiracy. No, no, Sergey Navarro. So I think if uh, even a fraction of what he says comes true, especially if it happens over this coming bull market, um, whether it's DTC, C's integration, or any kind of swift things, um, then you're going to have like a gigantic narrative there and people are going to pump the shit out of this. So a lot of the, so another thing to watch for too is like, where are the YouTubers pumping these coins? So, you know, YouTubers kind of are funny in that they set, they say, they'll have these videos and they'll be like, chain link to 100, chain link to 250, chain link to 1200. And like Ash Crypto is like, <laughs> his target was like $1,200 chain link. And I'm like, all right, these people are really pushing the limit here. And, um, but, you know, that's what drives the public narrative. I mean, you know how many people watch those videos and go, oh, yeah, maybe chain link will go to 1200 or whatever. Who the fuck knows if it's going to go that high? But like, the reality is, 
Like, you know, you'd have if you pull an ETH style ETH 2021 move, which I think is quite feasible with Chainlink, then you're probably hitting, you know, you could hit 500, like those kind of crazy numbers. And it's at $18 now. So I think the upside is still very, very good relative to its market cap. And it can definitely reach market caps in the sort of like sort of near ETH levels for la the last season. And then, you know, of course, you'll dump 80% or whatever more after that. But I think it is um, cyclically, it's Link's turn to do ETH's 2021 bull run, essentially, in terms of timing. Will that actually happen? Eh, a lot of coins have claimed that would happen. A lot of proof of work coins, for example. And they were never like that, you know, th those bull runs never materialized to be that great. I think the difference in Chainlink compared to something like a Litecoin or something like, um, I don't know, you know, Bitcoin Cash or any kind of like Dino coin is that um, unlike all of those things, Chainlink has some of the like biggest um, combination of actual development and business development in the space. I don't think anyone comes close. Like um, some people have said Polygon has pretty good business development, but they're no chain link. They're not going after the big boys like DTCC and Swift and whatever, AZN and all these things. So I, I think, um, and on top of that, they don't even need those things to have a great bull run because they have about eight different products between CCIP, NFT, cross-chain, and verifiable randomness. And, you know, they're working on privacy with um, Deco. Like they have enough shit going on that, um, and then they just put out a post that they're hiring like 85 more uh, business development slash um, like financial engineering folks to sort of like join the Chainlink team. So all that seems pretty good to me as far as like, you know, if, even if they don't, 90% of the shit they say doesn't actually happen. They're certainly projecting strength as far as the crypto space is concerned. And I think you don't want to fade that because like, there's nobody else projecting the strength that Chainlink is. I haven't seen it. If you guys have a blockchain or something that's doing more than Chainlink is, be my guest. XLP. XLP. I'm, I, no. I know we always have no. this discussion. No. They've done not more even. for crypto than I, I anything has politically. I reviewed it already. There's not. It's not even close. So I, I went over what you said like, and went and looked. It's not close at all. It's not even comparable. So if you were to say like, if you were, if I were to make a call and say which one is going to have higher multiples of like you know if you're going to invest thousand dollars in each of these things which is going to be the better ROI it's chain link by a country mile like it's not even close watch and see you'll see what I'm talking about I, like I, you know what I I'm, I'm I'm in love with uh, because the if, 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 got, so. if you were if yeah you're too in love with it that's your problem so I wasn't in love with chain link until more recently either because I didn't pay attention for the last year and a half so I get it but my point is like. There is like all of the any blockchain out today benefits by adding Chainlink CCIP. Um, there's no blockchain out today that necessarily is trying to do anything specific to XRP, except there's a new um, Cosmos chain who's trying to get like XRP people in, you know, via their liquidity. I uh, forget the name of the damn thing. Um, oh crap! But there's so a chain. You've heard about you've heard about the golf. You sing XRP, right? No, no, no. There's a new blockchain that's trying to like tie in the ability to bring in XRP tokens into the a Cosmos chain, and I forget the name of the coin. Some Oracle mentioned it, but anyway. But that's the most I've seen as far as any kind of like blockchain integrations with XRP. There, XRP is really not. They have a. They're a one-trick pony, and that is that they must uh, do something with like tradfi banks. But the difference is, is that Chainlink's not working with necessarily only banks they're working just directly with the 
um, stock clearinghouse and with Swift. So the problem with XRP, the reason why it's a loser from the beginning, I can tell you this right now, is because you can't go directly from uh, with XRP. You can't go directly from uh, a bank to to buy a stock. So ah, that's what the difference. No, 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 no. You're wrong there. You can't do that in the U.S. But if you go and actually have a look at what Saudi Arabia and the Gulf have done, yeah, but nobody's buying Saudi doing... Arabian stocks, Chug. Nobody cares about that. Like the no, the, 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 the 90% but Saudi Arabians, Saudi Arabians can. So we can go yeah, through a bank. And they can buy stocks through their bank via XRP now. No, but you're, you're missing at... the point. You don't you, with with Chainlink. You can you're going to be able to buy the stock directly, tokenized. You're not going through the stock market. Not going through like Fidelity or whatever. Their goal Which is, is to make what? you yeah, to go from cash to to stock immediately. Tokenized coins of stocks. Which big is deal. what XRP have been working on for two years. They have no. They're not even. They have that. They're tokenized, not no. that. They have there's publicized... only one giant stock clearinghouse on this planet. It's DTCC. They're the biggest one. Like 99, like, I don't know what the percentage is, but majority of the stocks trade on the planet go through the DTCC exchange. So unless they said they're incorporating XRP. By the way, XRP is not a smart contract platform, Chugs. Like so just to give you a heads up. It's literally just a token. No, 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 no. But that's why I said the XRPL. Not. Wait, XRP does, it accumulates payments. It's, yeah, but it, but it does no actual smart contract. You're not going to be able to run uh, the stock markets on something that has no smart contract platform. That's what I'm like. It does now. It's had a smart contract platform for the past six, seven months via EVM. XRPL using Ripple. It has got a smart contract. In fact, Ripple were the first ones to come up with smart contracts. It's just it went first on Ethereum. Mm-hmm. So, so Ripple have been working on smart contracts for a while. It's just, obviously, they've also been focusing on interoperability before they start impl- impl- uh, importing it onto everything. Now, don't get me wrong, CCIP beat them to the punch with, with interoperability because, obviously, it works. It's there. But well, it's not just, just the way there. It, it takes years to build it, like, to create that and actually create the actual... Um, so, like, they're already one bull cycle away from even, like, catching up even if they wanted to. So, anyway... the Either way, I'm going to bet you money here. I'm going to bet you. I'm going to bet you 100 bucks, Chugs, that my ROI on Chainlink <laughs> is better than Ripple. Watch. Okay, all right. <laughs> I'm pretty no, good. No, right. Can we do? It? Right. you've obviously made a lot more money than me, buddy. So what I'm going to say is this: we have to cap it at a percentage, not your bag, but how so they both do. If I'm going to a million dollars into something, it's going to be Chainlink, not Ripple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what we're saying. For this bet, because you want to do a hundred bucks bet, fuck the Zephyr bet off then, the legislation yeah. one, because I can only I can only afford one bet at a time. I'm not I'm not rich like you, I'm right? Gonna you, I'm gonna send you a hundred bucks worth of ZSD if if uh, you win. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> that's not a hundred bucks if it goes to fucking parabolic, is it? It's it's whatever ZSD, the fucking value. The stable, the stable, whatever you know. But so just a hundred bucks in USD of ZSD. Okay, that's anyway, fine. my point, the point is not like, again, like uh, the point here is not whether I care enough about the chain link tech or whatever. My point is that like, if you look at crypto, it's run by narratives and the like the who is winning the narrative game at this moment, as far as these concerns, chain link is, that's how you figure out what to buy, not based on what the tech is. And the reason is because like lots of good tech can go by the wayside without the narratives. And that's what I, I feel like is still missing on the XRP side. And so that like, to me, um, it's a really, really, really like clean narrative at this point where any chain at this point that incorporates CCIP wins. Like it, like Sommelier did it, like Zucky, I just talked to him briefly about it. Like 
yeah, they got that set up. And basically that allows them to bring any coin that is tied or any asset, real world asset that's tied to CCIP now or in the future directly into their um, like, you know, trading systems without doing anything else special. So for example, let's take Zephyr Swap, for example. If they incorporated CCIP, you'd be able to immediately switch to like, you could switch your Zephyr directly over to um, like Chainlink um, based USDC, for example, immediately. Or you could go to Chainlink based Ethereum, like the CCIP connects all of these different things once the main chain is incorporated. So I, I take that back, not Ethereum, Arbitrum, Optimism, um, and these kinds of things. So it's a really, really interesting protocol. And I think where like Cosmos IBC has gotten it wrong at some level, and because I'm kind of like more, I've always been kind of a bit more of a Cosmos character, is I think even Cosmos got it wrong because like, there's not a great reason for every other chain to incorporate IBC. And each chain that incorporates IBC has to create a specific channel for that particular coin or that particular chain. And the problem with doing that is, one, you can have stranded, you can have situations where a relayer goes down, you have stranded coins on stranded chains. Juno is a perfect example of that right now. And the other thing is like, it's not an operability protocol that everyone in crypto is likely to adopt because um, for two reasons. One is like, they're considered a competitor in some sense. And the second reason is because you, it's not useful to have a cross-chain interoperability protocol without an Oracle built in. I am convinced of this after looking at what, what, or, what Chainlink has done. So I think Sergey, you know, had this vision from the very beginning that it would be like an Oracle system. And then like you have decentralized smart contract platform. Uh, and you also have a decentralized execution platform. And then, you know, ultimately you have decentralized privacy, decentralized um, uh, like data availability and all of these things. And I think like judging by what's out there today, some combination of something like what CCIP is doing or maybe something like Celestia is doing appears to be sort of like the way forward because blockchains, generally speaking, are not scalable otherwise. And this is the same problem with XRP and any other kind of like chain. So the thing is like a lot of the tech that was out long ago, like, you know, is basically just old. Like XRP is a good example. Like there is nothing particularly innovative about their token. There really isn't. It's just but, basically like, so it's just really old tech already, Chugs. You're talking about like something that's been around basically for like, you know, the better part of a decade. And that was created at a time when, you know, like the crypto space was not particularly very advanced in terms of smart contracts or anything else. And so it's what everyone's trying to do is play catch up, including, I think, Cosmos, which is having a hard enough time getting people to incorporate IBC, lack of business development, et cetera. And I think like in my mind, in my head, like the people that have done the most in this regard, um, really at this moment is Chainlink. So that's kind of my my. Anyway, so, point is, if I'm putting a large, a question like, if I'm putting a gigantic you decent... amount of money into something, am I going to put it into XRP or Chainlink? It's clearly Chainlink, no question. Yeah, I, I want to know something very quickly. You said the DCC. Is it the DC, DTCC or DTCC? Yes. Yeah. So where are you seeing that they, they they've got anything to do with Chainlink? Because I'm looking at their blockchain press releases now. They've mentioned IBM, Exonian, R3. R3 obviously isn't Chainlink. Exony, uh, as far as I know, isn't Chainlink, and IBM isn't Chainlink, and there is nothing on their press releases to say anything about Chainlink. No, it's, it's both. No, it's in there. You have to go to their. Um, so if you just type Chainlink DTCC, 
You're, it's on DTC's website. It's bringing capital markets uh, on chain with DTCC and Chainlink. September I'm looking, 21st. I'm looking at it now. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm on, on that uh, press Yeah, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the press releases for blockchain now. And there is yeah, nothing. September 21st, 2023. That's the, that's the date. It doesn't have a specific date on what I'm no, looking I'm for. I'm on their website now, too. I'm, I'm sitting right on it. Send it to me just so I can have a read because I'm going through all their press releases and I can't see fuck all. Uh, let me see if I can. Uh, Sefi, you were mentioning uh, you were mentioning multiples and talking about like where particular projects can go relative to like previous cycles highs. I'm curious yep. what you think about uh, XMR. Um, you know, in regards to the recent delisting from Binance and like how you think that fares for its long term uh, price action. Um, you know, yeah. particularly looking at like multiples like you're talking about for chain like this, we go into new markets. I, yeah. I'm particularly bullish on XMR. I hold a decent bag. Yeah, I just bought some um, on this dip. I'll talk about it in just a second. And 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 uh, give me one second. Let me send this to him. Um, but basically, I just, just want to read. That's all because I, I could only see R3, IBM, and uh, Exony uh, <laughs> on their press releases. And you'd think if they're doing a big partnership with something like Chainlink, they'd have it on a press release. Yeah, it's 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 here. Hold on. They, no, it's been going on for the last two years. It's not new. And the DTCC people talk at the uh, at the conference as well, both in 2022 and 2023, both conferences, the spokesperson for DTCC was there. So they've been working on, they've been collaborating with building a system that um, will work for this. Now, again, that's all experimental. It's not considered like, it's vaporware until proven otherwise in my mind. So that's something to um, keep in mind. I'm not, I'm not a chain link like you know i'm not part of their club or whatever i don't give a fuck like if they accomplish their goals great if they don't accomplish their goals you know that's just what it is um so i'm speculating on the presumption that they are going to accomplish some of their goals at least um but you know here's the thing like for me to be interested in chainlink i don't need to have any of that shit come true i know how blockchains work and i know what blockchains need i know what decentralized per platforms need i know what all of those things uh, need and the reality is, is that like what you need is some combination of an Oracle system coupled with lots of interesting assets to trade. CCIP gets you those two key things that everyone else has been fucking making a mess out of, quite frankly. And I've seen chains attempt to do it in like small scale, like, you know, where they'll try to bring in one component, but they can't bring in something else. So for example, verifiable randomness, which now see, you know, if you're incorporating Chainlink, you get that. In Cosmos, we got to use like the noise chain, NOIS, which is like an entire blockchain designed to sort of like, you know, bring in um, verifiable randomness. But then now you have to like do some kind of cross-chain IBC transfer for that. And only the chains that incorporate noise with like a special, like their special thing can make it work. Whereas with Chainlink, the thing is VRF is like a routine thing now. So think about Chainlink as like a gigantic operating system. You can basically connect It'd be like it'd be like Microsoft Windows for your PC, right? They're creating a system where, like, or a better example would be like mm, an Android operating system would be a better example because you can take Android, you can run it on a Samsung phone, you can run it on a Pixel phone, you can run it on whatever. The hardware is not really the key there. So imagine what Chainlink's doing. They're trying to be the intermediary where it's like no matter what blockchain you are, if you connect to them, now you can connect to all sorts of assets and also programmable and automation services. It's a very much bigger deal than what- um, Yeah, Chainlink kind of reminds me of like where institutions would go 
where like I, I hear people talk about the difference between like Akash and, uh, you know, bigger uh, cloud compute providers like Amazon. It's like, oh, people, you know, institutions or large companies won't use Akash because they don't have the same sort of uh, redundancy or the same right. sort of security reliability. I think the same thing comparing at least Noah's and, and Chainlink and any other VRF uh, sources like Secret has uh, provides VRF um, via private smart contracts to Ethereum and a few other chains. But you still have these incumbents that are, I mean, you look at the market cap, the amount of money that they have to back up their technology, uh, do audits and all this stuff and do business development. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, swinging with the institutions. Yeah, I mean they're swinging like they're going in guns blazing, man. I mean, and Sergey is no goof. Like he's one of like quite literally the um, like among the like like most in- intelligent sort of like players in the crypto space from from the very beginning. Like like he's right up there with Satoshi in terms of capabilities and such. Right? He's like he's autistic as fuck. He's hard, he has a hard time speaking in front of an audience. But man, the guy is just a machine as far as like. I've been watching like Chainlink from the sidelines, buying in and out of the coin and trading it a little bit since at least 2019. And he's been around since long before that. Um, he was around like when, you know, Buckman and everybody, you know, Jay were building, co- you know, Cosmos and everything. And um, the Oracle thing was just sort of the, the first thing he created. But from the very beginning, like he was thinking really, really gigantic and, um, uh, you know, he uh, was looking at a different route to gigantic computing versus, you know, Vitalik and Ethereum. But, um, you know, like, I think historically what's happened is, is people felt like, well, yeah, Oracle's, that was a big narrative back in 2019, 2020. And, uh, you know, the coin pumped and everything. That's wonderful. But they kind of felt like people felt like, okay, there's like a, a total product market fit for this. Only so many people are going to pay for Oracle services, blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, the, the total addressable market for this product is only X amount. And, you know, Chainlink kind of performed reasonably well last bull market, you know, from its bottom for sure. But at the same time, it's it wasn't reaching Ethereum type levels. I think what they're doing now, however, changes the game to where they can really be sort of like a platform for a world computer um, and they're the closest thing I've seen so far to sort of getting there. And what's interesting about Chainlink is it doesn't matter what you're trying to connect. Like, let's say it's some AI system you're trying to connect to another AI system. You could do it via Chainlink. Um, that negates the necessity for like fetch AI, for example. I mean, you literally have a complete automation layer in Chainlink. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of different chains that become fundamentally like just unnecessary, obsolete um, when it comes to what they're doing. And it's not that easy to copy what they're doing either um, in the sense that um, like getting like, so for example, the same way it's very difficult for people to have start a new smartphone company today because everyone's on either Apple or Android. It's possible someone could like, you know, WeChat or whoever the fuck else in China, but that's in very special circumstances. It's not that easy to start up a new operating system today. Why? Because, because it's really, really hard to get all of the users to move to a new thing. And with Chainlink, what's interesting is nobody has to move to a new thing. If I'm Oracle NetSuite and I want to sort of like connect to CCIP, I can. If I am DTCC, I could. If I'm Swift, I could. If I am Joe Blow sitting in my you know home server, you know, trying to connect to it, I could. Um, 
you know, any blockchain, any sort of data source can theoretically just simply uh, incorporate the cross-chain messaging protocol. And it's similar in that way to Cosmos IBC, but just, you know, has a lot of other tools connected to it that make it a lot easier to just program things um, is the best way to describe the, the Chainlink situation. So it's worth like definitely like looking at the Chainlink um, build um, sort of like uh, architecture and look and see what that means as far as like what you could possibly do in terms of incorporating to your blockchain. But the one thing that's for sure, like any chain, even in Cosmos that incorporates CCIP will immediately have access to so many more assets and possible sort of like um, capabilities that it's almost like absurd not to do it, um, given how hard it is to get liquidity to come to various blockchains. Um, anyway, but uh, I mean, if it's good enough for Arbitrum and Optimism, BMX and everybody, it's probably good enough for everyone else. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So, Seth, I've just been going over the DCCC documentation while you've been talking, and I can see that they've got their own chain. They won't need Chainlink. Their chain is a, sorry about the dog. I don't know why he keeps on over talking. No, 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 no. You're you're misunderstanding what the purpose of Chainlink is. Chainlink is not a blockchain. No, no, I know. But what I'm saying is, why would they use CCIP when they've already got their own thing? They just get everyone to connect because, to it. I mean, they could use CCIP be to, because then you won't be able to send your tokens to um, other blockchains. That's why. Which, to be fair, so, they've got their so own. The the difference is, is that number one, blockchains are not scalable. They're not they're not that useful of a technology for high speed transactions. We know that now from everything from Solana and everybody else like fucking it all up. So the problem is that the speed and scalability is not what blockchains are great at. What are blockchains good for, Chugs? Do you know? Like they're good for immutability and they're good for like the the sort of publicity and the sort of transparency of the ledger so that, that's what yeah, they're good sorry I was, I was stuck in they're the link you sent me as, they're not great as general purpose computing platforms so dtcc can have their own blockchain that's perfect like there's nothing wrong with that if they need one they may not even need one their existing computing infrastructure already runs the united states stock market like there's like there's they already have like jillions of dollars flowing through their you know coffers per day they don't necessarily need a quote-unquote blockchain what they need is a way to connect their system, their computer system, to all the other blockchains that are out there. It would be no different than like if you built a DVD player, would you build one with a weird cable that doesn't connect to any television set? That's one possibility. And your expectation then would be that all the other television sets in the world, Samsung and LG or whoever, they're all going to incorporate your particular connector. Or would I mean, you Apple go with, H- with their old connections, their old uh, headphone connections? Yeah, they're big um, enough to do that, though. But like, or would you as a new producer of like, let's say you're Apple TV, does what did Apple TV do? They put in an HDMI connector. Why do they do that? Because all the fucking TVs are on HDMI. Why did the HDMI consortium form in the first place? It formed because like, if you don't have some standard, the consumer is going to get very confused about what they're going to connect to. And without an industry standard, you can't, you know, knock out DVD players. Uh, and and make tons of them and make sure that they sell. And every time like there's an update to HDMI, like if you've been through these updates, you know, your projector no longer connects to the new type of Blu-ray player and whatever, or, you know, you can't get like true color or whatever the new, new, you know, color standard is or whatever. Right. So if you have a central organization handling the interconnectivity, which would be like Swift connecting banks, DTCC connecting stocks, Chainlink connecting cryptos, 
Then what you get is updates will be had at that level. And those updates will make sure they work for all chains that are connected to it, theoretically. And then like there's a single point source for transmitting a like the ultimate truth of how many particular assets are out in the universe. So for example, if DCCC, I'm sorry, DTCC issues a um, stock and it becomes stranded on some blockchain for some reason because the connectivity channels are broken, they have a problem. So what is necessary is an intermediary which can connect blockchains that is ever permanent, who doesn't shut down, whose decentralized node networks can grow and scale to any amount of scale necessary for any amount of volume of transactions necessary for that particular system. To the extent that DTCC could just simply build out their own Chainlink node network, they would own their own nodes at that point if they want to. That's the difference here. So like, you don't want to think of Chainlink as a blockchain, and you certainly don't want to think of it as some kind of like, um, like think of it more like as a general purpose computing platform um, and whatnot. It'd be like saying like, would DTCC build a smartphone for you to be able to like trade stocks on a phone? No, they would not do that. That's not their business. The so issue we have here build, though, what's that? Is who wants their who, who wants their transactions made public? If it if it does, say it does go through Chainlink, which is obviously CCIP, and there's that yep, transparency. So, there, so there's Deco also. So the other thing that Chainlink is doing is privacy now. So they bought oh, okay. a, they bought up they bought out the patents from like was it Cornell or somebody? There's a guy by the name of Ari Jewel or something. And basically, like they hired him on, and what they're doing is they're creating a sort of like uh, a chain link sort of like um, it's called Deco. It's kind of like a KYC roll-up layer. And the idea is is that like yeah, stocks. Not only do you have to have KYC, but they're by law you have to have KYC, and you can't have and you have to be yeah mixtures of public public and private. If the government wants to know what stocks you traded, they can find out. On the other hand, if you don't want your friends to know what stock you, stocks you traded, they shouldn't find out, right? So there is both of those elements in this. And what they did is they created their, what they're doing now, which they don't have yet, is another product that they're putting in called DECO, D-E-C-O. I don't know what it stands for. But their idea is that to incorporate privacy so that if a transaction, um, for, first off, your, your KYC information has to be private. So if you put in all your demographics, your age, your social security number, your you know federal ID number, your passport, whatever the hell it is you're putting in, that needs to be verified as being true, but it can't be broadcast the whole world. The, the DECO layer needs to tell DTCC that, yes, this person is, in fact, registered with the IRS or, you know, with whoever, Social Security Administration, whatever the government, you know, you're registered with the government. You're not some sort of random actor. You are an actual person who has access to these securities to trade them. And now, like, the DECO layer takes care of that for them so that, um, it, it so yeah you need all of these elements now granted that's vaporware still like like is that going to be the big kyc layer in the future maybe maybe not but here's the beautiful thing with chainlink it doesn't matter if they're the big layer or not anyone can create the new kyc layer how the government can create it and governments are well known for just simply using whatever platform works best so like if xrp wins that means that the government might use xrp platforms for their things if Chainlink wins, then you know they'll use their platforms. But typically, governments don't design full-fledged flat platforms anymore on their own. And this can be evidenced by like ever since Microsoft, Apple, and companies like that emerged. We're talking about like especially to the '90s. Most U.S. government systems run on Microsoft Windows now. They don't work on their own like thing. Like nobody's yeah. making their operating system in the government anymore. Answer me this though. 
it's, the it's same not is true, argument. by the way, of Swift and DTCC. They're not building their own computer systems at all. Yeah, why would they? they, they why, 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 why would you spend money developing your own things when you can just have something that everyone uses? It, it's pointless. It's dumb. Not, it's, not only that, but it's not their core business. That's not their core competence. So why would they? Mm -hmm. right? They would they're just as likely to fuck it up. So DTCC and Swift have no real like, like technical advantage compared to, say, a Chainlink in terms of development teams to build something like this out. So yeah, they do. DTCC has some blockchain theories in their head. And so did JP Morgan and a bunch of other people, by the way. But most of those companies have not been able to like credibly execute on these systems because they're really hard to build. And not only they're hard to build, but they're easy to like get hacked and whatever if you don't do it right. And so, so answer me this. You were yep. saying that to obviously mask the, uh, the, the private transactions, they've obviously got their own company and they're developing it. So obviously, I'm going back to XRP now because you're saying that it's old technology, but it's not. They've got their own private distributed transaction ledgers that don't need. To, they're not public. They're made specifically for clients, and they can be spun up in minutes. They yeah. also use an Oracle service called Band Protocol, which goes in via EVM smart contracts. Everything's yeah, already set. Band itself gone. is Cosmos chain, um, and unfortunately, it's been kind of mediocre. Like at the I same time, though, if it works, like, think, think about every time you go past the train station and there's a goddamn uh, Windows load up error because no one's bothered to fix it. Like they've, they've, every, no one cares about mediocre. It's, it's that classic um, pick yeah. three, cheap and uh, cheap and low quality, but fast, <laughs> fast. Yeah, uh, sorry, high quality and fast. Pick two out of the three. You can't have all three. And that, that tends to be the way businesses go. XRP so, which, already has everything that you're talking about Chainlink developing, and they improve upon it because they've got hundreds of developers constantly. They've got billions of dollars of backing. They've got, as you say, they, partnership. They very, well, they very well could do well, by the way, in theory. But the thing is, yeah, most of the time, this is a, um, it's going to be like an one company wins scenario, usually. So because the like Oracle services and sources of truth end up being like almost like a, um, uh, it's, it tends to be a winner-take-all thing when it comes to these things. And is it possible for two parallel systems to work together like a Microsoft and Apple? Sure. Maybe it ends up being some kind of duopoly. But And maybe like a lot of these things are open source that Chainlink's doing. So maybe someone can just copy what they're doing, of course. So th these are all possibilities. So, But um, yeah, it's it's uh, we'll see. But like all I know is like if you look at most of the um, interested parties in blockchains, like it's CCIP that people are interested in actually incorporating so far. Um, at least in Cosmos, we've had one chain do it. Um, Zucky did it with some sommelier um, in order to bring in like Ethereum assets. And um, so far, it's been like Arbitrum, Optimism, GMX, which is the like one of the more prominent perps platforms in the Ethereum ecosystems built it in. And their comments were there isn't any comparison. Like, like if you research the market, there's another option. So I'm not sure what XRP is or isn't doing, but like, uh, yeah, Oracle systems. Um, the thing is, like, Oracle systems to make them useful really doesn't make sense to have them owned by like singular companies. You have to make gigantic systems that are very uh, like hard to hack and hard to manipulate. Oracle attacks are a separate form of vector of attack in crypto space, and um, so far, like, I get nervous when people use like. Um, uh, some of the newer Oracle systems that are not as battle tested because like Oracle attacks can really wreck you if you're on like a perps platform or something and, you know, like a futures platform and turns out the data is not accurate. Even for a little bit, you could get liquidated. So 
Oracles are not about speed so much as they are about, um, uh, or about scalability. It's about absolute truth and, you know, however long it takes to get it. Um, generally speaking, all of these things are pretty quick now, but, um, yeah, pretty widely scalable. And, um, and most likely like a lot of these technologies, like they're probably all copying each other anyway. There's probably like things that XRP is doing that, uh, maybe Chainlink's copying and vice versa. This is always the case in tech. No oh, one, yeah, yeah. Just no that's what like, it is. It's whoever gets there first, isn't it? It's, it's not necessarily yeah. about who's been doing it in the background longer. It's whoever gets no, there first wins. They, they can all copy each other and do whatever. And, 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 well, yeah. think of it like anyway, this. Like, Ethereum's rich because like, of smart contracts. I do know Ripple that both the the and the DTCC conversations are not pure, like, LARPing. Bo the last two smart cons that Chainlink held, uh, you had representatives from Swift and DTCC there their sort of business development guys there. Now that could just be like grandstanding or whatever bullshit too. But on the other hand, Swift and DTCC really have no benefit for like, you know, pumping chain link bags. If they're standing on stage with them, it's probably legitimate stuff. So now at the same time, there's been some shit on Chainlink's website that never like became anything big. Like there's like an intent to incorporate NetSuite Oracle. Um I use NetSuite Oracle services for one of my businesses. Quite expensive. I pay like I don't know, like, you know, 50 grand plus or whatever for a moderate sized business. And it's an expensive accounting package. It's not like your QuickBooks or whatever. And Oracle hasn't, uh, I don't think they've actually completed any kind of, um, you know, chain link integration. Maybe they kind of were experimenting with the idea. Maybe they're still working on it. Those, those companies take fucking forever to do anything. But I, I know someone that works at Oracle, um, who's a family member of mine. And, um, you know, there's not, like any buzz on the street that like Chainlink's about to come live with, or, you know, NetSuite somehow. So I'm not even sure what you would use it for, quite honestly. So I'm not even sure what the point would be in, at some level. But um, anyway, but uh, interesting stuff. But um, oh, so Red, yeah, your 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 question was about um, privacy coins and like what about this delisting from XRP? I'm sorry, not XRP. I, I have XRP on my tongue now. Um, um, the delisting of um, Monero and what that implies at this point well so where is that coming from the delisting of monero um is coming from certain organizations who have like really just borne down on binance in particular because of the problems that are they're having with various criminal organizations funneling money through binance this like every hacker tends to like try to exit their money through binance uh because of liquidity uh you'll see um people like you know theoretically north korea Lazarus Group and whoever the fuck else trying to move money through there. Um, realistically, with the fun, like the, the actual fungibility and um, like liquidity available for Monero, I don't think Monero actually is a gigantic source of giga crime in the grand scheme of things. Um, you don't have a very high market cap. You get a lot of slippage. I mean, just from the delisting, the fucking thing went down 35%. You're not buying nuclear weapons with this fucking thing. It's just not a thing, right? Like it's just, so the reality is that like, all this has probably done is just like, um, you know, like made it harder for like normal libertarian types to sort of get to and from their their fucking privacy coins is all they really did. But what it did was um, it, like the delisting basically, of course, dropped um, Monero's price by about 36 percent or something. I think it went from like 170 bucks to about 100 bucks. I bought some right around that level, about 120 ish, picked some up just to support the cause because I'm all for that sort of shit as you know um i've <laughs> been around a bit and i do care about the adoption of these things 
Um, I'm one of the few retards that actually cares about the actual tech, even though um, like trading something and caring about the tech are two different things at some level. Um, but I do care about it. And I, and I think it's, um, it's like mm, privacy for individuals is a critical thing. Um, and it's why I care about Zephyr, for example. Um, do you think it, do you think it caused any changes in demand? Like, or do you think demand for, well, anytime there's, what I've noticed is any FUD in crypto markets affects demand. Like it just does. There's a certain fraction of people, what, I don't know, it's 5%, 10%, whoever, who might've owned X or, uh, owned uh, Monero XMR. And they, um, maybe they sold as a result of that. Maybe it was just the market makers or whoever selling off their bag. I don't know. Because, you know, you can imagine I mean, like- It's also heavily shorted on Binance as yeah, well. It could, you can, Binance. Yeah. So with news and crypto, the big thing is, yeah, the shorts come out, you know, guns blazing. And um, they have not removed necessarily the, the ability to do like futures um, trading and things like that on Binance. So- just because you can't trade the actual token doesn't mean you can't trade the price action. So it's possible that it just got shorted heavily. Um, so as far as price action, I think like, you know, if you can borrow 10x the amount of XMR than you actually have, and then basically like go short on it, yeah, you can make, move the price quite a bit. Does that mean that it's a bad coin or like, you know, all the XMR folks have disappeared or whatever? Um, let me pull up real quick the hash rate here on Pool Bay. Um, my, my main thought was like, if if Binance was you know by far the largest location for for spot market volume and like for people to actually acquire XMR outside of mining and mm -hmm. you know that goes away if demand is constant or maybe even slightly less you know you would I, I would expect to see some decent positive price action just because the yep. the, the liquidity on other exchanges is just lower so the, the same amount of demand is going to cause you know more. Yeah, and I'll get to the price action in a second. Well, for starters, the hash rate currently really like based on that event didn't even like skip a beat. It's about um it's running about like what is it now? About 2.25 gigahash per second, which is kind of unchanged um fundamentally. Like hash rate overall if you look at XMR has been trickling downward though over you know from about 2022 onward but that could also be because of difficulty levels profitability of actual mining you know like once all the coins are mined you have just tail emissions which is getting pretty close if not there already and so there may be some different factors there that affect network growth and whatnot but um you basically have like a very very decent tokenomic though right you have essentially more or less a fixed supply coin with minimal emissions at this point so if you sort of like are in it for the hard money theory, it's pretty good. If you're in it for the privacy, it's pretty good. Um, there are some various like little mini dexes and atomic swap type things you can swap, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Monero on still, which is good. I think Zephyr is bullish for Monero indirectly because it reuses the exact same protocol. And you know, these guys like putting out like Zephyr swap and things like that, where you can swap between them and improve, you know, fungibility helps. Um, I think it would also help if something like Zephyr swap were to incorporate Chainlink CCIP, for example, because then you can go right in and out of your privacy tokens into something else that's more public if you want. Um, and it's easy to like do that with a lot more assets without doing a whole bunch of integrations and fucking wallet things. Because even ThorChain, when I like last sort of chatted with some of the guys from like Maya protocol and whatever, 
it's like Chainlink CCIP is like a credible threat to the total volume that would flow through something like ThorChain or, you know, whatnot. So anyway, so it's interesting how these like cross-chain protocols do change sort of the market over the years. And you may not see it immediately, but um, over time, like you have several narratives that are going to emerge. CC, um, sorry, um, CBDCs is a big one. There's something like, um, let me pull up the list here. I, I'll, I'll pull it up so you guys can look this up yourselves and see, but um, it's called Atlantic something or another. Um, I always forget to bookmark this one. Um, yeah, it's like the Atlantic Association of CBD something. Hold on a second. Let me find the website. AtlanticCouncil.org. So if you go to AtlanticCouncil.org, I'm going to bookmark it this time because every time I want to reference it, I have to fucking remember where it is. Um, AtlanticCouncil.org is like basically a tracker site where they look at all the different CDBCs um, from different governments and what's being produced. I think you'll be stunned to see how many CBDCs are coming out. There's 130 currencies currently, um, countries, I'm sorry, 131 countries um, that uh, of which... 11 sites have launched CBDCs, 21 pilot um, things that includes Australia, India, China, Russia, so the sort of the Eastern Bloc, Eastern side of the world here. And then uh, you have um, 33 in development, and a lot of the ones in development are in the Americas, Brazil, places like that. You have 46 research projects going on. So like 131 different sort of like things that are happening. So I think the CBDC narrative, when it comes to the libertarian types around here, like you're going to have that become a narrative that really starts spinning up over the next couple of years, uh, maybe into the next bull cycle, maybe into the next bear market, but coming close. And CBDCs, like the 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 drive to bring these into fruition, is going to lead more people. To say, wait a minute, like, what about my privacy? Like, if you can tell me what kind of bag of Doritos I can buy and can't buy with my money, because you can, CBDCs basically means you can program the money to do whatever you want. You can track what people are buying with it. You can do like all sorts of stuff with it. And, well, the plus side might be your taxes might be fucking programmable too. So you don't have to fucking like do taxes anymore. Put goddamn TurboTax out of business, a bunch of middlemen, leeches. Um, and, uh, but so it's like, it creates efficiencies, but the, problem with CBDCs, in my mind, is not the efficiencies that they create. CBDCs can create amazing efficiencies as far as just like, you know, even even Visa and MasterCard are just leeches on American society or Western society, taking like two to three percent transaction fees for what the fuck? I don't know. If you look, if you own Visa or MasterCard stock like I do, um, they've done very, very well since IPO, if you can pull up their charts, but they make a fuck ton of money on those transaction fees. And um, and it's funny that's, you should say that because I actually own a merchant services ISO. So <laughs> there you go. Part. So, but, but these these things though, yeah, there you go. These things are like interesting, but like in the long run, um, you know, you know, gearing for obsolescence in some sense, and CBDCs make it possible. Now, the CBDCs though, the problem is, is that like the amount of digital tyranny you can create on this planet is second to none. Forget about Hitler. Forget about like whatever you think is bad about your government. Forget about North Korea. Like all of that can be made to look like a, um, like a walk in the park compared to what kind of control system can be built against humans using CBDCs. And the problem, I think, I think the word you're looking for is will not, not can 
because yeah, every time something like that has been available to, to any government in history around the world, it's always been exploited every well, single time. The UK is doing it. Uh, they pretty much already confirmed by 2030 we'll be using the uh, digital Great British Pound uh, CBDC. Uh, <laughs> the sad thing is they're partnered with Ripple. So it's going to go yeah, through a private ledger with Ripple. Like CBDCs in development, retail and wholesale use cases intermediated. Um, so yeah, it does say that Bank of England here, there's a CBDC task force. Um, they are doing, I don't know what, they don't, they don't mention XRP specifically, but this site. You can see, you can see the partnership. Uh, there's an there's a article on the Bank of England uh, website somewhere. MIT digital currency initiative wonderful so like so this is this is the problem so yeah so the thing is like um remember that the reason why the dollar is powerful is because of its network effect um its fungibility and its widespread availability in every country um it's going to be imp almost impossible for the dollar not to go to cbdc if the rest of the world does also and the reason is because if they do they don't you're going to lose the dollar's network effect so there, it's an arms race. I would say that like the, the CBDC arms race is very similar in many respects to the AI arms race. Um, there's a lot of interesting parallels between AI arms race and the arms race of CBDCs. But, so, but this is going to be a, a narrative that's going to form around crypto. And I think the freedom narrative is going to be like, you know, if you believe that narrative is going to be big over the next few years, then owning privacy tokens for the appreciation price action is not unreasonable um is that going to be harder and harder to get to those coins because of various issues with like regulatory or whatever sure i think that's quite possible currently in the united states these things are not illegal even though elizabeth warren is trying to you know get rid of them from centralized exchanges um if you notice recently when monero's thing happened um uh what's this called like um, i haven't used kraken in a long time but now i started using them again since they actually oh. Fucking... If, if you don't mind me interjecting, <laughs> I, I think uh, they, they, they well, I was going to say they made a point to to support Monero, and they continue to have Monero on. Um, they have they have it on uh, Kraken. So if you, if you want to support an exchange that represents freedom, I would support Kraken. But go ahead. Sorry, Elizabeth Warren's um, initiatives are never going to go through. There's a no. fund fundamentally libertarian aspect to uh, our country. Again, assuming you're in the U.S. Yeah. Um, I agree. It's not it's not going to work that way. I think what we're going to see um, is is more of a tornado cash uh, scenario where if you have a bunch of decentralized exchanges for privacy tokens and offloading privacy tokens into, uh, you know, regular tokens or stable coins, be it USDC, DT or or like decentralized stable coins, what's going to happen is they're going to mark the ad addresses of those stable coins coming in out of out of the, the privacy decks and, and ban them you know through fincen the way they did with tornado cash i think that's the most likely outcome if they're going to fight it um, yeah but at the end of the day there's workarounds for all of that there's workarounds like oh there's 100 percent. yeah there's workarounds for, like for doing the that. technical workarounds are quite like put it this way i'm, I'm going to put it to you this way the reason i knew for the last decade that crypto would be fine um is because if you guys were any of you guys are around with like when um like modems and bbs boards were out you know this is back basically in the 90s and stuff oh yeah your phone to a modem and you dial up so back back then like if you look at sort of hacker culture at the time and sort of piracy culture 
the reality is even back then, like nobody could stop any of that. And then you got to things like um, some other layers happen. Like, for example, you got to MMOs like back in like late 90s was when like you had Ultima Online, you had then like 99, I believe, was EverQuest. Then later on, you, of course, had World of Warcraft. Another thing that, that that could never be really controlled fully is the buying and selling of digital assets in video game space. So, so if you were there before crypto was crypto, you knew that like this was a thing. Like I have a whole story about how I sold shit from my EverQuest shit, like long before NFTs or whatever were a thing. And I, I had a world record at the time um, on uh, CNN, CNN Money or somebody did a fucking like thing. They messaged my eBay account that a record breaking sale on a character from everquest or something anyway but the yeah, point is like I, yeah. I, yeah back in those days that became a thing and then after that BitTorrent, of course um became a thing especially as broadband came out and this was kind of like it took off like early 2000s and if you guys remember BitTorrent, like to this day nobody's been able to stop BitTorrent. so the reality is like at this point there's many many ways to sort of move um like sort of dark assets, so to speak, that have never been impossible to get. It's been impossible to get rid of them completely. Can you slow down the growth of them? Yeah, sure, you could. But the thing is, the more you attempt to slow them down, it's like an organism fighting for its life. You're going to have more things like decentralized swaps and other technologies that emerge. So yeah, even there's something funny, that's, that's always been my thesis too. Oh. Is is the more that they back back us, uh, you know, again, us saying us, back people all, back the, corner, the yeah. same ilk. Yeah, the, the more they back you into a, a corner with something like that, the more the more fight there's going to be, right? And, and you're right. It well, yeah, all so you realize you have to devote more energy and money financing into into strengthening that versus if they're kind of leaving you alone, then you feel like you've got time and energy to yeah. devote it elsewhere. And, and, you know, like the more the more infinite the number of various cryptos become, the more layers, layer ones emerge. Cosmos, of course, was a gigantic sort of like leap forward in terms of making it possible to create infinite blockchains. The regulatability of these things and the sort of like controlling of their fungibility, I can tell you this right now, the government's basically all but given up. Like, if you think the government thinks that they're about to control any of this, they're delusional. Like, there's not even any way possible. If, if that was the case, you wouldn't have, like, piracy on BitTorrent anymore. Yeah, short of, like, a, like North Korea-level uh, authoritarianism, which is, Precisely. I mean, it's still, it's still a non-zero chance. But you know. yeah, you, you, yeah, exactly. But that would require just, like, threat of essentially direct violence against the actual consumer. And here's the problem with that. Now. These are the pros and cons of doing that. The pro would be the government, you know, could exert control if a statist would want that to happen. The con would be all of the people within the government would also be susceptible to the exact same situation. So if you look at the people at North Korea, if you look at the like the generals or whatever, how free are they really? Right? They're not that free. <laughs> like, you know, like they're basically yeah. under the same fucked regime and they can't say a word. Yeah, but how how long did it take for uh you know, Gaddafi to be overthrown? How long did it take mm -hmm. for, I mean, Kim Jong-il and Kim Jong-un? Absolutely not at all. I mean, there, the, the point is there's, there's the possibility of a, a really yeah. protracted period of pain. So this brings, this brings me to the CBDC problem. So the thing about CBDCs is um, all of the control levers that you can imagine using against people, CBDCs allow you to do that at scale. And you combine that with a surveillance state, which we have now, 
you basically would call you have what I call the machine totalitarian state. What the machine totalitarian state looks like would be something like this, Drew. You are a, a communist government official, and you say to yourself, "Hey, wait a minute! I think we're going too far with this law." The AI looks at you and says, "Hey, Drew, you are not being a good communist, young man." Dissident behavior. Yeah, yeah dissident behavior. And what the AI is going to do is going to say, "Okay." Um, we're going to report you to this agency, this agency, this agency. And then that just the chilling effect that has of, on your behavior is going to be like, OK, fuck it. I'm not going to say a word. And what happens in the it's sort of like a machine totalitarian state is you combine that with the people's money in a CBDC format. And you can just shut off anybody's spigot whenever you feel like it. And if you feel like, um, you know, you know, a good communist doesn't buy Doritos, then now all of a sudden it's like, you know, the, the you know, you you get a 20% tax on your Doritos or whatever. You can do all sorts of like tweaking with programmable money. So the way I describe it is programmable money, which we joke, you know, we talk about in crypto, in, in blockchain and in smart contracts, programmable money money equals programmable people. It's that simple. And well, yeah, because it, it, it lends itself to the definition of money, which I, I didn't really understand until maybe the last two or three. Yeah, so, so a lot of us seem like like weird, like crypto anarchists and like whatever. I've been at this for a very long time, like, you know, and the reality is like, we can see the arc of history playing out. And, you know, what you say, you know, like, those of us just seem like we're fucking crazy or whatever, like some sort of like paranoid types or something. We're not just paranoid, like this is the this is inevitable. This is what will actually happen because there's no other roundabout way to say it. These systems become basically self-perpetuating. And the especially when you add surveillance to it, um, and the threat of not just um, violence, but essentially money. It, fiat money is basically violence in a nutshell. Basically, it you're is. in a situation where you can turn that spigot off and now you can exert violence on anybody by... Because imagine like you want to yes. go protest something and instead of being able to go protest it, like this, the thing is like, ooh, this guy's getting ready to protest. Let's just shut, shut off the, his family's money. Like his children, children was right. Garbage. That well, the chief science officer of the New World Order, Sir Bill Gates, is trying to do that with his world uh, pandemic preparedness plan that's due to be signed in in uh, May of this year. Unless we stop him, we have yeah, to him, defeat the him, demon. Him and a, a lot of other yeah. actors. I mean, I mean, it. It. it this. I mean, right. this is a, a tale as old as history. I mean, this. This goes. But back he's to the Robert chief Bay. science officer. That's why I focus on yeah. Bill Gates. Is like he is the chief science officer of the New World Order. Now, now the thing to keep in mind is if you look at like, and this is why like sociology and studies like this matter. If you look at Jonathan Haidt's work, um, I, I, I reference him a lot because he, he did a lot of the more useful work on the planet regarding this lately. His name is Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T. Um, it's worth watching some of his lectures on, um, he, he's a he's a declared liberal, by the way, whether you yeah, like I have his, his, I have his book on, on my wish list. We talked about him. Yeah, before. whether yeah. you like him, whether you like his like background or not, his basic thesis is that like we need to have viewpoint diversity. That includes left, libertarian, right. And the, the thing is, though, if you look at the way the planet's genetic makeup is set up, if you look at the actual behavior of people, you have about 45 percent that think leftist, about 45 percent that think right and about. 10 to 15% somewhere in that neighborhood that are sort of the libertarian slash you leave me alone, I leave you alone type crowd. And the problem is the libertarian always loses because A, libertarians are generally not like they're not status. So like you, you don't have wars 
that lead, or you don't have people that go to politics in order to sort of reduce laws, regulations. No, so they're, they're always exactly. the megalomaniacs. It's always right? the left. Or they the want right. to be left alone so they don't organize. Exactly. exactly. It's, the, it's precisely the type of phenotype of person that it is that they don't tend to go into politics. And, you know, you have a few like your you know, the Paul family and a few others that, you know, are hardcore about this and they somehow make it through the cracks. What was special about the United States of America when it was founded is that, you know, you had a disproportionate number of people with libertarian beliefs creating the Constitution. This is why, like, the U.S. Constitution is very different from all the other parliamentary constitutions of the world. If you let randomness take its role, like, you just, you know, you just try to, like, build a country and you do it out of sheer luck, you're much more likely to have a status government because it's proportionally, like, unlikely to have as many libertarians. And maybe it's because the United States was a bunch of, like, you know, renegade states and, you know, renegades that move. Yeah, out. that's, that's People, exactly what it is. So we, it's a genetic we have a selective concentration group. of it here. Yeah, right? higher select concentration of people that are willing to leave their home continent, not much their own country, move to a different world. And Where like, start not even which is exactly part of the end game goals of Agenda 2030, because they're like, what is happening now? We're being invaded and uh, and decimated from within because like they're yeah. uh like meiosis, you know, like they're just they're they're spreading out the libertarian. They're they're making it thinner and weaker. That's their goal. Yep. I don't yeah, disagree. Uh, Interestingly, just, what you just, know, the just, one yeah. one good place that they have failed a little bit in that, which is really good, is a lot of people that are willing to sort of walk from fucking Venezuela to America are actually not leftists or right. They're actually libertarian. Like when you meet a lot of these right. people, the funny yeah. thing is we, it's sort of some lucky for us it somehow backfires to a certain extent we just got to educate yeah. them properly it's a yeah. race between education and enslavement so it's yeah, up to us it's like our civil duty to to teach people proper the the neuropsychologist right. who administered administered my uh, my cognitive testing about 10 years ago is actually a cuban um uh -huh. immigrant uh who's heavily libertarian uh i mean yeah you know came over here uh, with his his father illegally in the 1970s during the cuban crime wave um, and is, I mean, it, like shining model of libertarianism and, and capitalism, right? Yeah. So, so to, I mean, to be clear, I think a lot of the people that are coming here are aware of what this system is, right? It's it's yeah, it's it's <laughs> the concept ways, of the freest market in the world. So, it's some in some ways, you might get the opposite effect if you have like a largely left leaning uh, bureaucracy. Who then decides to use like legal immigration and then Canada. and using a system where they oh like are you a good leftist okay you can come that would be yeah. even worse in some ways at least yeah, this anarchy to some level I, and it I, I think there's a little bit of that influence going on at the border and and also to clarify um, my my dad's an artist and, and a hippie and has been yeah a Democrat my entire life but he's also uh, um, I mean we used to watch. Lou Dobbs on CNN in the early 2000s when he was the only one talking about the illegal immigrant crisis. Um, and he, he called, my dad called out the Patriot Act within two days of it being signed into order like we're um, fucked. And, and extrapolated on exactly what's going to happen. And, mm -hmm. you know, 2013, perfect confirmation of that. So, so with regard to the, the 45, 45, 10, um, dynamic with with left, right, and libertarian. I think there's a good bit of overlap, and I think you'd you'd see there that is. in, in my not, family. So I would say like the ten would be meaning like the so-called pure libertarian, but there's no yeah, question sure the libertarian leanings on both left and right for sure. So like for yeah, example, RFK um, Jr. is a good 
good example of that too. If you, yeah, like so, so while you might have like certain social things you might be left on, you might have certain like financial things you might be a socialist on. On the other hand, you may still have some, you know, libertarian leanings when it comes to things like free speech and things of this nature. Um, so, like, great example of this would be like the left was very much like more about freedom when it came to your choice to use drugs or use whatever um, than the right were, and back in the 1960s, 70s, the left had a more sort of like, they were more anti-authoritarian at the time. And the weird pendulum swing in that like now with the woke culture and all the other things, the right became the folks who are like, wait a minute, we've gone too far. We need like more libertarian thinking. Yeah. No no offense to the conservative listeners, but there was a switch Mm -hmm. in the party of critical thinking uh, circa Mm -hmm. maybe 2013. I think there was a, a really big jump off. Uh, with uh, with the whole I- idea of, of like intersectional uh, thought and theory in uh, in you know liberal <laughs> universities, so I, I think that's yeah. that's a big transition. Well, you know, one thing height you know height created something called the or he's part of an organization called the Heterodox um, Index and organization. Yep. I've got that in my bookmarks now too. So. It's a neat little website. Can I give you guys? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just it, I don't know if this even pertains exactly to what you were just mentioning, but it's an experience of mine I had at SIUE, um, and it might have to do with a goal five of Agenda 2030. But one time I was coming out of chemistry class, and in the quad there was a group of art students who had made like a thousand clay penises, and they were to fight the patriarchy by smashing them with sledgehammers. And so I'm just like coming out of class, I'm ripping on my vape pen because I'm done with school for the day, and so I'm getting high as I'm like walking up to the quad here to see these like art students say like how they you know oh i hate men because blah 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 happened to me and then they smash a clay penis and everyone celebrates and it's like what the heck is going on i was kind of just like flabbergasted to witness this event but i i saw like two or three people smash a clay penis and then someone the last person who did that they were like does anyone else have something to say and i rose my hand and and then it caused an uproar and and the art students came running up to me and they're like are you a straight white male are you a straight white male and i'm just like what the? i just said yes and then i was put in handcuffs by southern illinois university edwardsville police and i was taken <laughs> off campus and yes because i said yes because i was a straight white male and they removed me from campus i was a double majoring honor student at the that's time hilarious. The yeah, free, so. yeah. I, I, but that, I think that, that one yeah. of the things that you see with with intersectional theory because it, it really is a, a fucking pseudoscience like you can you can right. divide an identity down into an infinite number of ways so there these arbitrary classifications uh, are, are using like a pseudoscientific method that that's almost like um, it, it's almost similar to, to like biological race theory in the 18 and early 1900s right like they're they're using this scientific method to um, give themselves validation in their 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 biases with something that's almost entirely subjective, um, yeah, and, th- and that's kind of polluted the the. And, and they're trying to undermine observable anyone like, with like reality and rational scientific thinking, uh, like sees it for pure nonsense. Yeah, obviously, yeah, it's like it's just silly stuff. Yeah, it's like, but, but the uh, funny uh, thing uh, is, like, both sides of the political aisle are good at creating like religious like dogma. So the thing is, like, the left will have its dogma, the right will have its dogma. What I meant to say about the 60s and 70s was, at that time, the complaint was that real, religious theologic sort of dogma was invading everyone's, like, shit. Like, in other words, like, you don't tell me who to marry and, you know, who to fuck and whatever else. So, like, 
subjects of sexual purity and like just religious dogma was sort of invasive to the left. And they were the ones that were revolting. And, you know, you had like, you know, obviously you had, um, you know, a Woodstock and all the other kind of shit that happened. Uh, and then like what has happened since then is like the pendulum swung the other way. And you have sort of like the, the left sort of taking over and going full weird. So yeah, it's like somewhere between theocracies and like just absolute, just irrational weirdos. You get basically dogma on both sides, no question about it. And the libertarian sort of branch of humanity, whatever that phenotype is that nature decided to leave, you know, that group of people, um, you know, that type of brain heuristic in our genetic pool or whatever you want to call it. Like really that's a balancing force, um, you know, between these different groups. And I think what Height really ultimately says is like, and I agree with him because I've seen how these government organizations work from the inside, is that like, you really have to have like, at any given table, you have to have a, you know, a libertarian, you have to have a, you know, left and a right person to look at the different viewing angles and then just basically argue about it until you create some like subtle policy difference. And if you don't have that, what you happen is the other group gets blindsided by the lunacy of their own particular like, you know, thinking. And um, his, his concept is like viewpoint diversity is important. I mean, like, think about it this way. If we had a million years or more of human evolution from whenever we were or 100 million years, whatever it was since we were monkeys until now, and nature saw fit to leave leftist behavior, right style behavior and libertarian behavior at perfect proportions, by the way, across the entire planet, like almost every country has the exact same proportion of each, which is hilarious. Like, which it's almost like a celestial joke, actually, in a sense, like, it's like, okay, so there's something what that tells me as someone in medicine is that like, there is a genetic reason why we have these different groups. And each of those brain heuristics is important in a sentient sort of like system. Oh my uh, God, Steffi, have you ever, have you ever seen the maps of like, like historic voting blocks uh, in, in, in uh, regions that have like border changes? So like Eastern Europe and- I was just yeah, gonna oh, say oh scalar harmonic. Unbelievable actually, like, like, like the, the regional voting, how, how it just stays like, like uh, intergenerationally despite, you know, geopolitical maps changing it's uh -huh. it's really phenomenal but yeah it totally lends itself to that what's what's interesting well. in america that's different though by the way like having said all this is that in the united states what happened differently is it became so easy to move because none of us are like see historically like human beings were either largely agriculture or conscripted military like there was not a lot of in between like there's some craftsmen and tradesmen or whatever most people were in the main two fields and you it didn't like if you were a farmer, you were having to stay there forever. Like you need to farm your gener your next generation farm, your generation after that farm, and you just sort of stayed there. What has happened big time in America uh, after cars and everything came out is we became way more mobile so that you have this weird situation where you have like blue states and red states where everyone who prefers a certain type of like ideology or mentality can move there. Um, cities have been largely become blue. Almost any country, any city that you go to in the in the country, like large cities, have become blue, um, sort of Repub Democrat or whatever. Coastal and uh, these kinds of weird well. distortions are much more prominent because of technology and petrochemicals. So this weird sort of polarization is like there's two major technology things that I have identified as having occurred, like that might be bad for humanity. One is this like polarization of you know, politics in the sense that uh, mobility has allowed, you know, people to be like, you know, bundle up into different areas where there's more red versus more blue. But the other one is the fact that like technology seems to have completely cratered our ability to have babies anymore. 
So like if you look at Western civilization, like, you know, 1.3 or 1.4 babies per family that's below. Well, that's also been an, I mean, that's been designed by the Masonic, you know, the builders. That's a agenda 2030 goal for sustainable development also. No, I don't, I don't think Kevin Galloway gets into that. Like knowing how government works, most of this, you're you're giving too much credit to the so-called like central planners. Really, this is a side effect of tech. Perhaps so due to my own experiences. This, this this tech began with the beginning of like petrochemicals. It began with the ability to like create a huge amount of energy and now like disconnected, like the need to have babies with survival where what, what ended up happening was, is like technology has caused indirectly all of the world's Western civilization, um, and for that matter, any any technological civilization has had dramatic drops in the the childbirths and everything. And each tech that has come out, computing, the internet has made it worse. Yeah, so I, I is, think I think that the the social tech is is. I mean, now that our our uh, social yeah. interaction is is electronic, I, I think that's that's accelerated. That's a big part of it, it's accelerated. It's, so yeah, generally, when I say tech, more. I mean all tech, all yeah. science and technology has had this weird side effect of causing us to have way less children. And this has happened in practically every country. It's happened on the left. It's happened on the right. It's happened to libertarians. It doesn't matter who it is. Like people are just having less babies and everyone's kind of panicking now as far as like what the fuck to do about that. It's true. And smoke, panicking, smoke, panicking, to, and to your argument about, about the Masonic Europe. order, the reason I don't, I don't uh, subscribe to, to thinking like that is, is because of the, the fundamental principle that all of these people in government um, are, are generally megalomaniacs serving self-interest. And those self-interests yes. are, are as diverse as the population that they're Correct. governing. So exactly. you have too many that's certainly true. But they take an oath that they have to abide by. That's, that's the thing. I, I, that's look that's at, getting like, into the conspiracy. Okay, can I just say something? Talking about yeah. oaths. How many people actually follow oaths to the letter that they follow? Most humans don't. Nobody. Like, they're, they're, Nobody. It, it's, it's really hard to be a radical, like, you know, honest, Anything. as Bruce likes to say. 100%. Yeah. No, the, one of my rules in life has been that, like, everyone is a hypocrite about whatever they believe in, at least some of the time or in some level of magnitude. Like, it's yeah, almost I made a video about that earlier today. You should yeah. check out my video I made about uh, my constructive criticisms of some of the members of the Taproot Wizards. It's on my Twitter here. But anyhow, <laughs> it, it, it talks about hypocrites. Like, it's funny you mentioned that. So, uh, no, yeah, there's no too, such quick thing two as minutes. Like, there's not a perfect, there's no such thing as a perfect ideologue because it's not possible, is my general take. But yes. like, I, look at, I look at humanity from like, okay, we're a biological creature. And then we have like technology that emerges that changes us substantially. One of the big technologies that changed us from being primates to having the type of brain that we do is theorized to be cooking food, for example. So was there a special, like special order of Masonic individuals or conspiracy among certain types of apes that they decided like everyone would cook food? Or did the technology <laughs> of cooking food I, I see what you're getting. You're getting at the fundamentals. Uh, yeah, the tech, the, yeah. The way I look at it is technology, if you look at the history of human race, dramatically shifts civilization way more than any one particular like, like ideology. For example, money being invented or becoming a thing at some point changed us a lot. Um, right. Example, and this, fire. <laughs> well, this yeah, new financial fire, system, wheel, et cetera, right? It, it, you know, we're giving the people the power back, you know, what has been robbed from them for centuries. Uh, this new technology of cryptocurrency, blockchain, it does yeah. that. It has that power. And that's why it's so important that we have to understand it and be on the tip of the spear of development and innovation. 
on, on the other hand, it's like it's a balanced approach because it also has the ability to create absolute fucking digital tyranny too. So my yes, exactly. Is, That's my biggest fear. <laughs> my hope is currencies will behave very much like bacteria in our body. So we have a lot of bacteria in our body, and in fact, we have something like ten trillion bacteria in our body to one trillion human cells. We are actually more bacterial cells than we are human in any. I case. think it's actually thirty. It's closer to thirty, if I'm not mistaken, from something what I've like come that. to understand. Yeah, but you're right. Oh, was something like that. But the point is, like. In your mind, think of like how bacteria work in our body. They, they, we're in a symbiotic relationship with them. If that relationship gets messed up, we get salmonella sepsis or we get E. coli septic shock or we get, you know, whatever, a staph invading our, our skin or something, right? So there is a interplay between our immune system on the one hand and a complex system of bacteria that evo we evolved with over millions of years. You know, those bacteria are necessary for our living like if you exterminate all the bacteria in your body which i can do with certain antibiotics and things you get other problems so um that we need them and we know we need them and you know they metabolize vitamin k etc cetera, etc cetera. so like if you take that model and you say okay what does that look like in a cryptocurrency world i think what it looks like is infinite numbers of currencies that are not really by definition regulatable they create a new harmony on this planet where like different tokens get traded for different things same way that bacteria are sitting there doing all sorts of shit inside your body you have no idea what's going on inside your body like i don't know what bacteria number seven out of 10 trillion the krebs cycle and yeah, yeah. i i i'm a little rusty on yeah, my there's all sorts of symbiosis between the different things like you might only be focusing on 10 things but you don't realize there's 100 in the background right. that are helping I mean, them there's, there's more to see than can be seen of course Let's say there's 10 trillion or 100, whatever, 30 trillion bacteria that's hanging around your body. They're doing stuff. You and I have no idea what the fuck they're doing. They're mutating. I have a good idea. I have an they're idea. I, see, I'm a studied scientist, so but, but <laughs> I my just point didn't is get like, We don't know what any one of them is doing at a given moment, right? Like, You're right, not, though. I'm just I'm being a devil's advocate in particular. <laughs> yeah, like, like stuff is happening like under the dirt underneath your feet right now. We don't know what the fuck's going on down there. There's different bacteria touching other bacteria, eating other ones, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, you, there's a base layer of the universe that's happening in your body that you don't like think about on a daily basis. It just does its thing. The way I think of like crypto is like if it becomes another base layer of our existence, of the way money became a base layer of our existence, it's an information transfer layer in our existence, then it just becomes another thing that, you know, 100 years from now, you know, a, a thousand years from now, whatever, it's just out there and you're not really thinking about it anymore. Like it probably becomes a thing where it's not so much a question of like whether it's regulatable or not or whatever. I find it to be one of those things that's not regulatable and therefore becomes a new base layer. So for example, we don't have American regulations about which bacteria fuck which bacteria at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. Why don't we have regulations for that? Because one, we don't, like, we don't know which bacteria is fucking which one and which one would be harmful or good for human beings. We have no idea. So we don't bother trying to control things that we have no way of controlling. And I think this will be one of those things, is my theory. Anyway. But like, I generally agree with that, but I think it's still important to understand the inner mechanisms of the process, you know? Of course. Yeah. So no, you it's, it's okay different? to understand the inner mechanisms, but still be okay with not knowing you can't control it necessarily. Like I know how a yes. moon revolves yes. around the earth, but I'm not sitting there trying to figure out how to make it like, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not here trying to block basis. out the sun like Bill Gates is, yeah. you know. Like. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't really like it's kind of hot today. I'd like to kind of block it out. Yeah, like that kind of thing. 
So I think it's okay to be like have like processes that we have that become sort of base layer functions that maybe we don't fully understand every component or every human being doesn't understand every component, nor do you have to have a regulation or law against all of it. And that's not to say that crime won't be committed with crypto. Like obviously crime will be committed with all forms of money or guns or bacteria or whatever. Like you can commit a crime with fucking anything. Like that's not a good basis for deciding like the freedom of humanity. Um, I think yeah, anything can be a weapon. Pressurized air can be a weapon. I mean, and yeah, most exactly. people don't understand how their car works, but they still drive it, you know? So as Americans, as human beings, like my take is like the, the fundamental core thing should be the preservation of as many freedoms as possible for the most number of people as possible. While like, you know, like that's the, the whole point of the Bill of Rights is the whole point of like what's different about the U.S. than a lot of other countries. Um, your rights are not supposed to be given to you. They're supposed to be there. And the goal of the government is to protect those rights, not the other way around and take them away from you. And it gets trickier and trickier because like technology does make it possible to do all sorts of really nasty, fucked up shit that we couldn't do before. And, you know, whether it's like, you know, you probably don't want me creating bioweapons or whatever. You probably don't want Drew over here to like murder 17 people just because he feels like it. So there are, you know, like, like, like I'm, not a, traffic. I'm not a militant libertarian or something like that either. I don't think like, you know, lunacy and complete fucking anarchy makes sense either. But where that balance point comes in is the trick. And, you know, I, I think one thing we all realize is like some base layer of crime probably has to be normal because, you know, human beings just commit crime. <laughs> like, like the idea that you're going to get rid of all of it would make a totalitarian state. And so I'm, I think I'm all of it. It gets fuzzy because that, people consider jaywalking a crime, but a crime requires an injured party. Who's injured when you're jaywalking? No one. The state oh, just is greedy well, and wants your money. Let's look at let's yeah. look at, at modern China as an example and, and the rate of crime. Granted, I mean there's there's some argument that we're not getting accurate figures, reporting figures. I mean, I, I'm uncertain about about the possibility, you know, the idea that there's like a base le- layer of crime that's always going to exist. I think it has a lot to do with with um, you know that technological ability to exert control. I, I mean, their 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 crime rate is virtually fucking nothing nothing there and, and i mean yeah, in theory, that petty crime but you can imagine like those large states usually have crime at a scale of unimaginable proportions at the central level so that so yeah. like you just you you move away from like someone stealing someone's bread because you're gonna get your hand chopped off or some shit in, in saudi arabia or whatever but and you know like you, you'll get hanged if you you try to um rape someone in saudi arabia for example um so you could make some arguments that there's a reason for those kind of aggressive sort of laws too um like but at the same time uh this like i think it's an illusion that there are countries out there that don't have quote unquote much crime i think that yeah, crime yeah. i mean if you becoming, want to refer to it as like like yeah that, that white collar versus crime, yeah right? so through through the ccp or ccp yeah, yeah like a lot of those places that don't have a lot of superficial surface level crime tend to have a lot at the center anyway um, I think like, it's good to remember uh, the work of John McAfee and how he pointed out how the biggest criminals are really the government themselves most of the time. Oh, uh, yeah. We brought John McAfee into this. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Do, yeah. do you mind if I we went there back yeah. to trading a bit? Because uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I just uh, forgive me, man. I, I had a, just a quick question. No, if no, you go could ahead. elaborate a little bit. Here. On We've been gone down were. the ideologic path oh, for a bit man, here. Yeah, yeah. That, that's largely my fault. I'm sorry. That's all right. 
Um, we all appreciate it. It's all good. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I, uh, I, I hopped on near the beginning and you were talking about, uh, uh, it's just some fundamental stuff, buying the dips, right? Um, so how, how more experienced traders kind of wait for a certain levels off in retracement um, to make purchases, right? So when things start to flatten out a little bit after a dip, um, they, they load money in and then you have, a, a, you know, less experienced or less confidence, confident traders kind of chasing the green candle and getting confirmation from buying activity. Um, and they, you know, like a momentum trader purchasing as it starts to swing back up. What, uh, what is it that gives you conviction when, when purchasing yeah. those, those flatten outs on the dip? And then furthermore, does that whole concept you were talking about apply, um, to, uh, selling? you know, certain tops. So I think like, um, all right. So what's interesting about, so crypto trading and stock trading, by the way, are a little bit different in this regard. Um, you have to ask yourself, if you have a dip of something, like let's say it's Nokia stock, you know, after Apple and whoever, you know, is this a dip worth buying? Cause they're an amazing company and they're gigantic and you should buy more. Um, the the problem in the stock market with buying the dip is does that dip represent some referendum on the fundamentals that you don't maybe fully understand but other analysts do and the stock is literally fucking going to zero and therefore like you shouldn't buy the dip that's kind of a concern and then in the crypto space the concern is usually most of the price action is just speculative it's not because the fundamentals have gone completely wrong or something like that. Although you could argue that like Binance being delisted, de delisting um, Monero was like a, an event driven dip. If you think it's like a coin that the FUD and the drama is something that, you know, the price has been brought down by and therefore you believe um, it's never going to come back up again because that's not something they can survive from. That's one type of, buying the dip so for example if you were buying luna on the way down uh you would have to have a very specific thesis for like when that was going to you know hit bottom and with luna version two you know like there came a point where it's a fully functioning chain it's now a fully functioning cosmosm chain it doesn't have any ust baggage to it and whatever and um, on the other hand doesn't have a lot of catalyst for upside growth should you buy the dip so i bought some luna the other day as an example because like is you know super cheap and we're going to a bull market everything pumps i'm like whatever um, good idea on the, <laughs> on the other hand if i interject an, an example of, yeah. of my own so it's an anecdote of my own so zephyr for example yeah yeah bought zephyr on the way up bought zephyr on the way down when it crashed below what 16 or 17 dollars um the whole mood around it kind of changed um lazef god is listening to by the way <laughs> mood is there was what? There was a, you know, little bits of fear from the, the little bits of FUD that you read um, slip in and you start to think, well, what if this stalls out so much and loses so much momentum and dips so low that yeah. it just kind of becomes a non-factor? So my average buy price was up around $24 then. Now it's like 19 mm -hmm. um, But, at, you know, as it got closer to 10 I'm about the, I'm about the same, by the way. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but as it got closer to 10 now, now there's some people with, with, clear convictions because of ideology and theory behind the project or people who maybe have uh, a close tie to, to the project themselves that might have, you know, con a conviction bias in that case. But for, for someone like me, who's, who's been following it since, since November, but, but isn't necessarily married to it. 
um, outside of, you know, the ideology that I was talking about when I first started speaking. Um, I mean, it's, it's like impossible for, for me to, to understand, like, if, like, if dude, you want to be lot super, when I purchased it if you want to be super disciplined though, about something, Drew, you would say to yourself, Hey, look, there's this coin. It looks interesting. And, um, I'm only going to spend at max, let's say, let's call it a thousand bucks or something. This, this is the max I'm going to put into this particular project for whatever reason. Um, you know, because I have other reasons why I want to buy other shit. So you have options at that point. Then you say, okay, well, if it's not infinite money that I'm going to put in, or I'm not going to dollar cost average forever. I just have an allocation. I want to stuff into this, whatever coin. Then you say to yourself, all right, well, like, you know, do I buy it all now? Do I get a little bit now, get more lower or what? And some people just like to grab whatever, cause they heard about it and they park it in a wallet and they just walk away. Like they don't even think about it anymore. That's one way to do it. Like the long-term investor. The other one would be, okay. Um, I bought like at 25, but you know, that was not the right, you know, maybe not the best entry price. It, you know, by the way, these things vary a lot. Um, you'll have stuff that retraces 40% and keeps pumping. You have stuff that retraces 80% and then runs. You just, really, there's a lot. Yeah, of I, I had a, I had a meme coin that retraced almost 95%. I, I mean, according to one candle that I happened to yeah. see within that minute, um, you know, and I and I sold so, on the way down, but I didn't buy at that bottom candle because because and and this this is the fear that I'm talking about. Is it a rational fear for like a project like Zephyr or the meme coin I'm talking about is Bozo, right? Which actually has some some you know pretty yeah pretty neat little financial engineering um, um, narratives put, that are put it this way: if great. if you know nothing about a coin, you don't know shit about it. All you see is the chart. It's a lot easier to objectively say, I'm not buying anything unless it drops 80%. That's, that's a fair statement in crypto. You but can is make it, it rational to think that it could drop maybe 90% or 95% and the FUD could It's all probability until it happens. It's, it's all probability. Anything is possible. But yeah. is it likely? Yeah. Is it, so the thing is, like, if you look at a bull market, I have a slightly different take in that when bullish times return, the odds are that if you do an 80% retracement, you actually will pump all the way back to prior high and run. Okay, so there, money is just flowing, right? There's a variable. So, so it's, it's market timing is a pretty heavy variable. Whereas if we're at the end of this year and something retraces 40%, you'd have a lot less conviction getting in on that dip. Also, also just your conviction in the long-term vision of that project. So for example, like Chainlink, I bought during the bear market at like $7. I thought that was a steal at the time and um i bought a bunch of it and i just but i i didn't realize how long it would take for Chainlink to recover i thought you'd have at least a bear market rally to 21 bucks it didn't even do that it literally sat there for one and a half years doing nothing and i just sat there with a bag holder waiting for it to go up so that's you know in that one though like i know they're not going to zero so therefore like me just waiting makes sense um in something like that but it, but it just depends like some of these things are very much more momentum traded some of them more like so yeah, I think if I may provide another example, too, because like in market cap too, like you get may, way more volatility in micro cap, especially if you're sub hundred million market cap and you've got to then decide like, okay, but the, but the reason you're willing to tolerate the volatility is because the upside so much more. Right. So you, yeah. that's part. Yeah. If I may, since we're talking about privacy coins, there's a hard fork of Monero. The first hard fork of Monero is called Masari. It might be worth uh, putting on your radar, you know, it's especially with the recent events having Monero price how you, action. How do you spell it? Do you, do you have the 
the ticker symbol is MSR. It's spelled M A S A R I. Oh, yeah. Masari. Yeah, but Masari. Yeah, it's got a client wallet that's been working for like four or five years. Um, some of the other development is like they're still working on a a GUI wallet for Windows and stuff. They've had to like redevelopment because um, it's it's had some. It, anyhow, it, it's it's a work in progress. It's a development, you know, like all these things. But it's been like put under the radar by a lot of people. Like the, one of the main devs died yeah. a couple years like ago. A- yeah, it's like a market cap thirty three twenty three. It's like three thousand ranked market cap. Yeah, but I mean, like, hear me out. If <laughs> you, you like, where do you get a thousand x potential? You have to start small. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, of course. But and you I'm, see, that's exactly where that fear comes in, right? I, I mean, if you, it's if it's not something that you believe in long term, right? I mean, it, it it in my mind at least, the possibility of get, of it not taking off or getting flooded to zero. Um, Still, kinds of, kind of exists. Like, like Haven would be a You're good right. example of that. So Haven, and is, that's kind of like genuinely fucked at this point, right? I mean, well, that's it, what the last four years have been: is flooding it to zero, and now we're here at the floor, and uh, it's still holding. It's still got integrity. It functions. The team is active. To zero smoking. Like the other thing is too. Like you legitimately could have a coin that just has no attention whatsoever. It's not so much a matter of fud. It'd almost be good to have fud. Yeah, at least someone's talking about it. Yeah, XHV That's true. Would be a, XHV would be a prime example of that, right? So XHV had, you know, limitless potential even at the end of the last uh, last bull run, and then that was then Haven, they, right? They, they Haven, fixed yeah. their mint burn issue, and and it didn't fucking matter because there was just no attention because because the volume had dropped down too low, and now XHV is sitting around what a, a ten million dollar market cap and. It had a little brief jump up to 20 and now it's still sitting at fucking 10 while everything. It's just the normal natural market cycle, man. That's just how things are. You got to remember price and time. Those are the two factors of the chart. Time is half the chart. The price is down right now. We're in the time of the lulls. It's going to, you know, the bull market is just beginning, sir. So we're we're just yeah. getting into the, the theme of things again. At some level, like you could argue that like almost anything pumps in a bull market. So therefore, it's like you could just throw darts at a dartboard, too. Yeah, that's the market timing I was talking about with you. So at this stage, it's a lot different than it would be at the end of this year with the retracement, right? Exactly. Like, so I think the thing is, like, as more shillers are showing up on YouTube and, you know, the whole, like, hype cycle is the, like, 95% of the price action is hype. Like, um, so therefore, you know, as long as that hype is sort of building, liquidity is coming in through BTC and ETH or whatever, leverage players are back in the mix and pumping, you know, like, taking ridiculous gambles on things, then that's where everything just sort of pumps to infinity. And remember, like 95% lose money in this market anyway. So the, what matters is to be super, super early. So in some ways, like to Smokin's point, it's like, okay, you know, are you more likely to make um, more if like I put a thousand bucks in Litecoin and it does a 5X or I put it in, you know, Masari or whatever and it does like, you know, you know, a 20 X just out of the blue, just because it, you know, it just pumps in, you know, cause like there's almost nothing there. So obviously it can pump. The question then becomes in your mind, like how safe do you want your money to be? That's a different question, Drew. Like, yeah. And that's where I think yeah. all this up because risk and reward factors is Zeph. Yeah. Now Zeph is about it because I just bought the, uh, the $11 dip. Um, now Zeph is like a third of my fucking portfolio. Exactly. <laughs> See how that works. Like, so the thing is like, on exponential movers, you know, the, the, the upside is just like exotic, right? You're like, 
you know, I mean, think about this. Can Zephyr get to a billion market cap? Sure. Why not? Right? Like, like the, some of the dumbest coins in this space have made it to a billion dollar market cap. I mean, things with almost no use yeah, case. No, there, there's, there's almost list. no doubt in my mind that it hits a billion. Yeah, so right? it can it's get to a billion kind of- market cap if to, or, or even three billion, um, you know, spiking up to good levels is very feasible. Because once the bid ask sort of artifact starts to happen, you know, you, it just goes crazy, right? Market makers just push things to whatever. They'll move it. Like things just move wherever they move. And so in that respect, like, the other thing is how bad of a mistake are you making if you buy a coin and it doesn't like go up? That's one question. On the other hand is like, how high could you go and then dump and still be ahead? Right. Cause like, like we're low enough in Zephyr that it's quite possible that you don't actually see a market cap like this ever again, which means if you bought now, let's say the thing pumps to 3 billion drops to a hundred million again, you're still ahead. Right. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel about Masari. It's just it's been beat down for four years, and it's yeah. just at the lowest I think it can possibly go. <laughs> yeah. So that yeah. You, so, you could argue that. Yeah. I mean, judging by its chart, it's pretty much right about there. I mean, there's almost nothing there. So I, I guess that in part answers the next part of the question is, which is selling local tops, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you obviously you you have a figure in your head about about how a token can perform and unless you're intending to hold it through the top and then the next bear run, which I'm not planning to do. I mean, I, I don't think any, anyone in this space really is. Um, where, where do you determine? Um, well, to, like, yeah. here's an example of what There's I some... did recently, like just as an example. Um, Dimension came out like last week. Yeah. Um, it's Cosmos sold Pain. Half after a double. Right. Yeah, I, I let it. So I, I bought some at like three bucks. I, you know, at, at it goes to six or something or like that. I seven. I sold half of it. Um, I took that half and I just left it there. Like I just, I just figured whatever moon bag. It's like a ridiculous FDV of eight billion dollars. It's really yeah. obscene. But like you know how it is. These things pump for no particular reason on illiquid systems, and it's going to go up. And now it's seven fifty seven. So would I have been better off if I held it? Yes. On the other hand, do I give a shit? No, because what did I do with that money? I went and bought Zephyr at like, I don't know, 12 bucks or something. And now it's a 17. So hurrah, I win either way, right? It's fine. So, so really like, you know, in that sense, like Zephyr to me was the more interesting sort of low market cap choice. So that if I like doubled my money on this thing, I can ride up dimension, that's fine. But my actual real like ROI is going to come from something really small market cap like Zephyr. This thing opened with a market cap of like 500 mil circulating and fucking like 4 mil FDV. It's just obscene. And these yeah, things are going to get crashed. They're going to get, they're going to crash. And they're going to dump on you at some point. So the thing is on something like a dimension or a Celestia, you have to say to yourself, wait a minute, is this something I'm going to watch like a hawk or not? If I don't give fuck all, I only played the narrative and I'm like, whatever, I just bought it to trade it. I don't want to even look at this thing again. I just dumped it in a wallet. And one day I'm going to look at it. It's probably worth a whole bunch of money. And I'll be like, all right, cool. I don't have to pay attention. What's so I think that's a good investment strategy. Like, in in all of this, Drew, like think about it from the angle of like, how much do you want to pay attention to that fucking thing? <laughs> like, because your attention. Oh, dude, I'm, I'm on every fucking day and I'm on your spaces continually too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> glued. I'm glued to crypto Twitter. And, We're just and having fun mostly. But yeah. um, the, uh, here's, here's, a little bit more specificity, right? So, yeah, local tops. Like you've sold some pretty solid local tops. 
not all doubles, right? So I think Injective, you went from 25 to 42. And I think uh, Fetch, you went, I'm not sure where you bought it, but I know you sold in uh, the, yeah. the high 60s, right? Yeah. yeah. And you cycled out to something else, right? So I just took that and dumped it into Zeph, quite honestly. It, it, it sounds anyway. to me, yeah, exactly. So, sounds similar to me to, to you know, um, Zeph drops down to, to $26, $25 and levels out uh, for a week or two. And you make a purchase, right? I'm going to be fair. The reason why is because if Zeph moons versus all this other stuff, like it materially matters to me more because of its properties. So like, yeah, if I had Monero from back in the day in fucking 2014 and it was, and I was up 10,000%, that's much more useful because it's privacy. Um, So now you have a giga privacy bag, which is much more useful. Yeah. So 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 consider Masari. Maybe yeah, exactly. consider Masari. It's where Monero was. <laughs> There's only eighteen and a half million, and you can buy them for a penny each right now. Maybe Zeph isn't a good example, right? Um, because I mean, obviously, most of us in this space believe in it in it for fundamental reasons. But as far as uh, selling like a local top like that, um, I, I guess I've always been of the theory that that you take like a percentage of what you think the the max total gain would be, and you sell off a a portion of your, your portfolio, but do you just kind of wait for it to level off a little bit? Like, like let's say in, in theory, Chainlink um, spikes up to uh, $140 a link um, and just sort of sits there for two or three days. It, it, at what goes, point if it goes straight that, up to that, like let's say you have this crazy run with within like a really short period of time, you have a giga run, like let's say $100 Chainlink, it's yeah. time to sell it. Is it? Yeah. It doesn't matter. So, what. It's I mean, good all, to all ask yourself these sure. theoreticals so you can prepare for when it happens, you know, yeah, like you're, you're mentally prepared, exactly you know, I'm doing that's, that's exactly because so, so like I've had my own thoughts on it, but nothing ever plays out the way you fucking plan. Right. So, so I'm just trying, yeah, to, trying to gather, course, gather data for, but, for but my we've own seen, theory, we've right? seen enough yeah. crypto charts to know how they behave. Like, and there's no, there's no this time it's different type of thing because remember, 95% of it's speculative. And when you have something do a 10x, a 20x, a 50x, a 100x, every moment that passes, and, and, and literally every moment, there's someone in their head thinking to themselves, I need to sell now, I need to sell now. And eventually they'll click that button. Yeah, right? but there's it's usually like, a little bit of consolidation, <laughs> yeah. right? Where it just kind of hovers at that price, at least sure, for a sure. few hours or days, depending on the yeah. market cap, right? So, yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying like, you know, there shouldn't be some stuff that you don't have conviction in or anything else, too. It's just, yeah. What's your thesis for that particular coin? Do you want to be in it forever? Do you, you know, you, you want to hear my it? thesis on Masari? Go ahead. Because I've been I've been watching it for basically since its start. And then we'll go to Noob because he had his hand up. But I think like everything below 100 Satoshi, everything below 200 Satoshi really is like the generational low. Mm. And I think it's going to like jump up like a like a band, like a valence va- band. Let me pull up the. Uh... It's going to jump like an energy band level up, like I'm after it breaks the resistance. Ever faded in, in the history of doing Twitter spaces has pumped to high heaven. Um, and afterwards, I'm like, whoops. So I've actually. That's my bias here as far as like I, taking you seriously. Um, part of why I take you seriously is I'm like, wait, why is this guy telling me about this particular coin? It's on the, it's in like the 3300 level. And it's interestingly very- Well, you should small. do your own research. <laughs> I get it. No, I don't really like to do my own research. So I'd rather have you tell me what to get. <laughs> I know. I can, I can spoon feed it to you too. Uh, like I, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> hey, Steffi, if that influences your conviction, feeding it in the spaces, then let's talk a little bit about Cheeto. 
Shido, yeah, yeah, you mentioned that yeah. one too. <laughs> I even sent a YouTube video on it, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me um hold on. Where where's the um I can't find the bookmark button on Masari here. I'm trying to find where the fucking button on CoinGecko on my desktop is to add it to my portfolio list. MSR. No, I found the coin. I'm trying to find the button to like Oh, in your uh, yeah, in your browser. (laughs) Damn favorites button on this thing. It does it not have one? Just do it on your iPhone, man. Things pissing me off. Um, Let's see what Noob had to say. He had his hand up. I think he. Yeah. Um, Did you read the white paper? Did you discuss it already? Which one? The the Zephyr swap? Not yet. Mm, Okay. Read read the first paragraph, Noob. No, I read it. I just wanted to know what's your take on it. Curious, curious about your take on it, man. Yeah, well, you know, it's risk, but it's okay. I think there's a lot of people that are going to do it because it's just money. Actually, they're set as our lending, which I think will be intriguing to a lot of people. I don't know how's the interest structure. They haven't released that. So let's see, but definitely, you know, this can produce a lot of volume and this can generate a lot of fees, right? Because um, definitely some interest from, have you seen what's happened on Rune so far? I mean, even some, something like Trust Wallet, their, their volume yeah. on SmallSwap went yeah, up we, like we, crazy. We talked about that yesterday. Uh, TCB actually made a post about their, their 14 million in revenue. Um, yeah. From integrating yeah. Trust Wallet for their swaps. Percent yeah, of that, that's already... So, so with with Zephyr Swap again, I haven't read the white paper, but from the blurbs that I've gotten, it sounds a bit centralized, which is uncomfortable. Um, Lazef God yeah. he was reposting you know the white paper. Rune rugged like three times, you know. Rune yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that that's, that's fine. True. So, so uh, you know, if they're focusing on on decentralizing and 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 you know future versions, that's great. But I think. One of the things that's keeping me hopeful is the idea that they maybe have multiple DEX integrations. So I, I've been mentioning Sarai DEX for like two months, and I know that they're working on a solution for ring signatures for XMR. So that's something that I'm still really bullish on for the future, even if Zephyrswap isn't perfect, is the idea that somebody's going to come up with, with you know, a reasonable method for, for um, in, you know, incorporating yeah, ring signatures usually works like that yes. right so if there's an incentive if they make money on the whole thing and everyone's like okay this is really cool but it's not like decentralized enough some someone will put it the back into it and make a better thing where the whole money will move right yeah that's exactly right so too. i'm relying on the on the logic of the free markets you know it's gonna work yeah i mean with when you're talking about privacy and DeFi, um you know it's there's the, there's the spectrum of value that's added based on the various types of like uh, implementations of privacy. You can have something as simple as like front running resistance for DEXs. Uh, you can have sort of like Monero like privacy for transactions. Um, I think you know like Houdini Swap kind of um, leverages that. I haven't done any. I this is actually the first time I've heard of Zephyr Swap, so I'll have to go in look at what sort of uh you know privacy value proposition it, it yeah dude as, as a monero uh, OG, you should definitely be interested because you have the the possibility of holding monero and swapping it for zephyr or zsd which is real fucking nice so now by default monero has 
you know, a swappable private stable dollar too. So, I mean, I, I think that's big for, for both of our communities for sure. So, Seth, you might be AFK. Hey, what do you guys think about Pirate Chain? I helped the development of Pirate Chain when it came out. Uh, digital price, we actually built the first exchange that hosted trade for it as well. But then the other existing leaders at the time, they didn't have the same vision and they, uh, they rebranded the exchange to Altsbit and then they took half of everyone's everything and then it kind of fizzled out and I'm here to like hold up the chain and like, <laughs> but anyhow, Pirate Chain uh, is another, yeah. What do you guys think about R? Actually haven't heard of it. What's the, what's the market cap? It's, uh, it reached 2 billion at one point, um, a few years ago, but, um, it's ARRR is the ticker symbol. It's the most private nice. cryptocurrency, um, by leagues. It's actually more anonymous and more, uh, more private than Monero or, or Zcash or, or any other, um, pirate chain why, is the most. Why private. is that? What's, what's the mechanism that's, that, that makes it, more you know, I used to articulate exactly how it's been like five years since I, since the development started and I'm kind of rusty and, uh, some of my experiments have, <laughs> have left my, uh, my memory a little more cloudy than it should be, <laughs> but you know what I mean? But, uh, I need to freshen up upon that. It's something with ZK snarks and, um, like you know how zcash and stuff they have like uh it's it's an optional privacy feature with pirate chain it's like by default and so like they enable all pirate all, all privacy features by default and it and thus by extension with their algorithm and protocol they've created the most private uh by magnitudes um more private than any other blockchain as far as i'm still aware that's true can you uh, by um, by the way i'm i'm I guess I guess maybe a little bit of an amateur. I'm not exactly sure how zk snark works. Could you uh, elaborate on that? Yeah, it's a it's a it's like um yes exactly. It's like a confirmation um, algorithm. Basically, it confirms uh, proofs that something was sent without necessarily determining uh, who or to whom how much was sent. So it it confirms the transaction goes it's that's essentially like what it does um and again uh, this is why i apologize at first my memory is just a little rusty on the articulate algorithms i like to be precise and and i don't like to misspeak so like i'm just gonna sound like an idiot in the attempt to not misspeak uh protocol algorithm structure <laughs> so it's like a it's like a like uh usually these are kind of like roll-up based you know, privacy features, essentially, they're kind of local. So certain pieces of data can kept, be kept private for certain periods of, you know. Optional features, right. Optional yeah, features, but yeah. they make it by default in Pirate Chain. It's, it, that's, I'm trying to summarize uh, the articulation. That's fine. <laughs> you know what's, you know what's the funny does, thing, though? Yeah, I'm really glad you guys uh, ring, brought ring all these things. up. How does it oh, differ from... I think Sorry. Red's trying to... I, know, I, was I, was say, I need to learn more about ring signatures. I'm really glad that all the people on the stage are very aware of uh, different privacy uh, projects. Like I've known about Monero for quite some time and I actually learned about Zephyr and ZSD um, as a result of kind of its association, uh, just like within the, the type of product that ZSD is. Uh, Silk, Seppi is aware of Silk and Shade. That's one of the projects that I contribute to. Silk is, uh, Silk is a privacy preserving over collateralized stable coin. Uh, built on secret network and um so like i got to learn about uh zsd and zephyr from this and then you know coming to 
a bunch of these different Zephyr spaces, learning about That's all these different privacy cool. projects. Yeah. Dude, yeah, I'm learning some more about uh, like Silk is news to me. Zephyr, I, I think I've heard before, but I never really did much research. So I'm really happy that you're mentioning it here now today because that like oh, sparks dude. my if own curiosity. In, uh, if you're interested in like novelty and uh, privacy, I would definitely check out Silk. But, like Secret Network has privacy preserving smart contracts, um, you know, similar to Ethereum. It's a smart yeah, you got like platform. you've got privacy NFTs and, and everything it, too there. Yeah, so like the inputs, outputs, and the state of smart contracts are encrypted by default. So we have that, just like you were talking about pirate chain, um, you know, all your smart contract interactions are private by default. So for the stablecoin, Silk, you know, all your loan details, so when you borrow it, it's an over stablecoin. When you borrow it, all your loan details are private by default. So your liquidation points can't be hunted. Um, and it's also pegged to a basket of currencies and commodities. It's not pegged to a single sovereign currency. So there's a lot of extra kind of regulatory uh, protection that's added there. Um, hey, Red, just by disassociation with being a all that currency. tickles my fancy. Yeah. I like what you said there. That's nice. Red, Red, <laughs> Looking into it now. Wasn't Secret Network uh, wasn't Secret Network's privacy compromised a couple of years ago? Or am I thinking so? There's else? been, uh, I think, no, I think there was a um, there was a disclosure. I think it was called the Epic Leak A E P I K or A E P I C. Uh, that was that was fully patched, um, and that was like that. That disclosure was done in collaboration with Secret Labs um, and a bunch of privacy researchers that actually worked really closely with the Layer One team. Um, but yeah, I mean, privacy is a cat and mouse game. Like as you guys, as I'm sure anyone who's followed Monero, there are people always trying to break your privacy assumptions. And uh, luckily, with Secret Network, you know the like if that privacy assumption was broken, there's no, uh, you know, destruction of value uh, as far as like any value that's held there. Um, so in the case that let's say privacy was broken, someone might be able to see the balance of yourself, or they might be able to see your loan details, just like you would on any other public blockchain. Um, but just like with the Epic leak, we released, uh, like they released patches for all the node stuff. And then for other disclosures in the past, they've uh, updated token standards, hardened privacy, and there's, all sorts of really awesome shit on the, the roadmap to continue hardening it. I kind of love this space just because it is a constant cat and mouse game where you're always looking to, you're, you're constantly having to improve uh, your infrastructure and kind of your, your base layers because there are people always looking to break it. It's reality. You got to navigate your, your environment, you know? So survival this the, is really fascinating. Yeah. Survival of the fittest and it's in, in live action. Um, yeah, you, yeah, literally. Yeah, so, so I, I was looking at yeah, um, so, Masari. Yeah. It's on Trade Ogre, actually. It's only on Trade Ogre, which is interesting. Trade Ogre, which is primarily. It's it, it's actually on two other exchanges, but it's, it's it? primarily just trade, like ninety nine percent on Trade Ogre. Yeah, I was going to say one of the one of my thesis for this season was go to the fringe exchanges, no KYC, Trade Ogre, and whatever, and buy like literally a thousand bucks of everything. That was one of my thinking. I bet you, I bet you that would probably do really well. I bet you do better than almost any other investing thesis out there. Like, yup. And a lot of that is just the nature of the risk reward potential. Like it's a lot of people are just afraid in a bull market. These things have such small market caps on those little micro exchanges and people go to the fringes when they're all like, you know, euphoric and shit to go buy stuff. And they're looking for the the latest thing that hasn't moved yet. And pretty much every chart pumps. So then the question is like, if you're like, and then if you say, okay, well, I don't want one coin that might go to zero, 
but you know, let's say you had like a half dozen of them or even like 20 or something, you just go on the exchange and just get a little bit of everything. You probably are going to do pretty good back in 2000. Um, in like, yeah, in, in 2019 or so you could have literally bought everything on Coinbase, like a thousand bucks of everything and everything mooned. And you would have like, you know, outperformed probably like 90% of people in the market or something like that, just doing that. Yeah, we're in that kind of market cycle. Like the timing is like that now here again. Exactly. We're there now where like you have this disbelief like rally, you have or this disbelief dip here. We're sort of like going into the hope phase of the cycle. And even if we don't go exactly into that, like maybe it takes six months, the reality is we're not far from it with BTC liquidity rising. And um, yep. if BTC liquidity rises from ETF buyers or whoever the hell else, a bunch of people in crypto just basically suddenly become crypto rich, have a lot of leverage, and they dump it on everything. And like all these little microcap <laughs> things moon like you wouldn't believe. And so every time I say that, I don't do it as much as I ought to, but I noticed this in 99. I'm sorry. Well, I'm glad to bring this one to your yeah. attention because for the yeah. wise, this is one to notice um, okay. for sure. And I'll get some. <laughs> um, but and again, I'll like you're saying, I think uh, to I've be realistic, where we are. I've got a trade over account already. I bought. I, I first got a trade That's fantastic. Account. I got a trade over account because it was the first place I bought Zephyr, and it was the first place I bought. Um, I was. I was just bought some Carlson. That's where I've seen pump. Zephyr. <laughs> I got to get some yeah. Zephyr today. All right. No, that's where I'm, I'm going to buy. I'm going to get a uh, little bit of Zephyr today. Yeah. Thank get you it for the mention. It goes up too much. It's already done a good retreat. It's up thirty-seven percent. Twenty-seven percent today. <laughs> it, it's in a proper oh. sweet spot. Yeah, we were waiting. Like it went to fifty-two and then dropped to like eleven. So uh, my average is about. 19. Yeah, it looks like You're it's just sitting at a resistance. Like. Yep. The last month or so, yep. it's been consolidating. Yep, it's at a new. Re- it's at a sitting resistance now, and it's like the volume has like skyrocketed. What happened was one of the influencers. That was the title of the space. Um, Nagato, basically, or Nagato, or whatever. I don't think he's Japanese. <laughs> he's just like one of those anime names. Anyway, um, but he um, he posted about it uh, like yesterday or the day before. So that's why it started to pick up again. Um, but that's how this shit works. You know how it is. Like influencer types will yeah. pick up on a coin. They'll buy the bottom and they'll tell their followers. And it's like, time to start in. paying attention. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's why I mentioned Masari is like, I've been, I've honestly been watching it. That's one of the things on my radar that I check like almost every day for the last, like however many years it's been in existence, basically. <laughs> so, you know, wow, I'm glad you, to you bring it to the attention it of, hard, huh? dude, I've been in crypt. I've been in Bitcoin for 12 years. I got in in 2012. Uh, yeah. I told my teachers in high school to buy Bitcoin and I theorized bitmap. I literally like bitmap is a vision of mine that I, I thought back 12 years ago would happen one day. Like we're going to put like digital land on the blockchain and here's bitmap. So like, I kind of feel like I'm part of the development of it. (laughs) You're like a crypto evangelist for a long time then. I suppose you could call me that. Yeah, that'd be fair to say. <laughs> we, we have been in the priesthood of like crypto evangelism longer than some people have been in the priesthood of actual Jesus or something. That's um. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Well, we're all here on our own journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's cool. Um, no, I'll check that out. I was going to think like one of the things I might do is just excellent. truly just take a bunch of money, take it to Trade Ogre and just buy something, a bit, little bit of everything. It sounds I encourage, stupid, I second that motion, not finance, stupid, not, you know, but... don't sue me, but like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do what you want with your money. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty it's, wise idea what he says there, you know, Trade Ogre has sounds, some great opportunities. It sounds completely idiotic, but like, same thing, you, even on Coinbase, like they used to have a lot less assets, but now they have more, obviously, Kraken, whatever. You could arguably take my, tiny little buys and buy just truly a bit of everything. It creates a 
tax nuisance potentially if you if it's all you know if it's on public you know forums and whatnot but outside of that it's like um you can get a lot of exposure to a lot of microcaps without having to be almost like it's like an etf of microcaps and the funny thing about microcaps is like you'll have them do good solid thousand x's so the problem is like you don't have to have all of them win you only have to have some of them win like if some of them do 10 x's or two x's and some of them do a thousand like it really makes a big impact um and it was pretty much the correct yeah. thing back in 2020 for sure You'd have done much better think, doing uh, that than buying like Bitcoin or ETH or something. Absolutely, yeah. Fun. I, I base I like to base my sentiments on technical analysis and fundamentals, and uh, so like you know I I try to check myself with every decision making that I that I do, um, and I think that that's built yeah, the current the current self regulating system is, within. Yeah, the current technical analysis: the microcaps are in the toilet compared to everything else. So yeah, uh, but I mean, if you want to like make the gains, that's where to put it in. Exactly, like dollar in, dollar out. That's good. You know, I mean, you don't you don't have to do any fancy chart analysis to realize this. You just simply just get a bit of everything that you think is interesting. Um, It helps to know and articulate, of course. But like, I mean, this one is like it's such a no brainer at this point. It's just like you know, you're buying the dip. You want to buy low, sell high. You know, like. Good the time to buy. It's, it's you a- know what's a <laughs> smoking. You know what's a really funny like psychological phenomenon that I find everybody, including myself, doing. Like during a bear market, what's that? Nobody, nobody could give fuck all about like researching anything because they're so. Oh, so, I know. Like, Isn't that bored. funny? That's the so time to do so. That's when it's most important. It's when it's most important that it would matter to do what you're saying is to research it and do your own research. Blah blah blah. In a bull market, the thing is like it's just all irrationality anyway. And it's like dubious whether or not it helps to actually get too like too into the weeds as far as like what shit does. Sometimes it's better to just like, <laughs> sometimes it's better to just buy a bunch of shit and just like pray to Jesus. Um, as opposed yeah. to sort of like, cause you could do all the research you want on a micro cap and that doesn't prevent it from going to zero or like the team disappearing or whatever. Right. Like not, there's, you're it not just guaranteed. helps your knowledge base of the project, yeah. which, sure, it, you know, sure. depending on how much you want to like focus and dwell upon, it could be a good or a bad thing. And that's all depending on personality and, and what you do with your time, I guess. <laughs> yeah. There's, there is something to be said about like, um, the idea that like just treating every coin as if it's a scam that way, like you're not married mentally to it because since it's mostly narrative driven pump. That's anyway, a fair, healthy assessment. I think then the, yeah. then the not, not that there is a scam, but like mentally, like you just don't care enough. So all you're looking at is chart action and you're fine with that. So then you say to yourself, well, I didn't do a gig of research on this subject. I don't care about it that much, but at the same time, like I didn't put too much into it. If it goes to zero, I don't care. And then you say, okay, well, you spread yourself in such a way that you pick up all the microcaps and just kind of have fun. Um, and then the funny thing is, you know what will happen when yep. you do that is some of them will pump much more than others for different reasons. And then you analyze that closer. You go, okay, why did this go up? Was it because just some influencer? Was it because legitimately they have technical superiority somehow? And what happens over time is- Right, really and you start stuff. negotiating shuffling cards and be like, do I want to double down on this one and sell yeah, half of this to exactly. go into this more or like, you know what I mean? And, yeah. And exactly. then the other yeah. one that you just sold half of goes up and you're like, oh shoot, did I make a mistake or <laughs> yeah. And so which, what all the what ifs could have could have what is you can use the crowdsourcing of price action to sort of clarify for yourself, wait a minute. Did the price go up because it's truly legitimately fundamentally more good project? And, you know, over time, that tends to be true. Short term, it could just be a pump for who knows what. Some YouTuber pumped it or something. Long term, though, like price action tends to be a reflection on, you know, the actual um, 
uh, it, it becomes a reflection of the actual like quality of the thing and stuff like that. So sometimes I use price as a, as a, like a gauge of like, maybe I should look into this more. Maybe I faded it and I shouldn't have. And everyone does this too, by the way, like this is why things that pump pump even more. It's natural. <laughs> it's just this natural yeah, feedback it, loop. Yeah. It's just like human psychology. This is what it is. The graph, like the chart, it displays uh, the data, you know, and the data doesn't lie, but human psychology can warp the data into whatever perception you may perceive. So it's, you know, it's, it's up to the user base and it's like <laughs> caveat emptor. It, it's a unique, it's a great skill to apply in more than just the trading in life, you know? Uh, Zef God just posted up here for a second. Um, he popped in for a second just to put a, post up um but he kind of i asked him the question like could we actually implement ccip in the zephyr swap and he said it is possible but it's another layer of work so something to put on the list but then you can get lots of volume guaranteed and that's that's the thing i think is super interesting that's what's interesting about Chainlink. like the moment you connect to it it's like oh shit now you've like it's like connecting to the city's water supply or something now you got water in the house um you know or like yeah you know, or you have. I'm like, looking at the Masari chart now, actually, like in more detail than I have in a in a while, and uh, I mean, it's really been we hit we hit these lows that we're pretty much at and have been at for like the last three years. We first hit it in like 2021, and it looks like it's. I mean, in 2021 May, it spiked up to like over 400. It went from like I don't know where we are now to like 400, and then it's just been con consolidating for three years since. So we're pretty, we're probably going to like rise from this like fundamental generational low, which has held support for the last three years. And yeah, so uh, 20, let's see, the, we're 2021, we went to. the 2021 run was like from like two cents up to around, what was the peak there? I, I'm having a hard time zooming in on this thing. I know the chart it, it's trade ogre so uh I think the peak in 2021 it looks like it's around 580 cents Satoshi 580 Satoshi Oh you're looking at the bitcoin chart I'm just looking at the dollar chart here so it's like it went from yeah, like 2 cents MSR, to BTC. like around 40 cents So that's a pretty good like 20x now you had to be paying attention to sell the damn thing at the right time too but at the same time, like, yeah, that looks like it was pretty quick. But also, I mean, like, it's still even at that peak was still a pretty low market cap. I think this is what I've been thinking. And this is one of the reasons why I've been paying so much attention to Masari myself in particular is one, it is the first Monero hard fork that in itself is significant. And two, it's just been kind of like it looks like one of the main the only reason the price is down so much is like. Uh, one of the devs died, but the project still lives. I mean, the chain works. Um, it's got a market like, cap of a other than that, eighty k with an FTV of one ninety two, trading volume about a thousand bucks in the last twenty four hours. So it's like like talk about micro cap. This would be like get out the, the, the yeah. This is get out the um, electron scanning microscope micro cap because um, it's you can buy one percent. <laughs> like look, you can look buy the order book. I mean, there's a max supply immediately. <laughs> You can buy percentages of the maximum supply just available in the order book right now for yeah, like go a couple thousand bucks. If I buy twenty percent <laughs> of the supply, what would happen is the coin would basically pump to infinity immediately. Um, is what would happen. The whole order book has about a little less than ten percent for sale. 
It's uh, set 1.7 million. I mean, because like 18.5 million max supply, it's like, you know, 10% of that is, is the other almost available is, on like, the order book of, right here. Most of the people that bought this probably completely forgot that they have it too. So even if they do own it. I know. which Yeah, it's good. Pumponomics. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Just low supply and little. Yeah, but the other thing too is if it does pump a lot, there's not much exit liquidity there. So it's not like when you hit the sell button there's that you hit the sell button you know you're not going to really get a realized actual trade right you're going to have a lot of slippage. you got to hope i what I, what i'm trying to do and what i'm hoping for with is like other people in this market share a long-term vision and when we get back to like you know higher levels than we're at now uh if we do sell off from higher than that we can add support to hold a fundamental support level to keep it rising that's that, like gener you know just natural growth fibonacci growth you know but uh yeah that's that's what i'm expecting that's my gut feeling honestly i don't know yeah i mean when when we got into zephyr it was about i got into it it was like maybe five million market cap this is like late october i believe early no november and um i think it's early november actually and anyway it's like it was like maybe five to seven mil market cap and um, super small. And I happened to buy the top at that time. I had no idea. I was like, I'll get some, whatever. And, um, you know, I just sort of like threw a pretty good gamble on it. And then I just started doing research afterwards. So there's there's times when like there's certain people, if they tell me to do something and I and I know them, you know, for whatever reason, I'll be like, yeah, sure, I'll just buy it. <laughs> like, I don't even ask any questions. So one of the benefits of I, like I think you might do well what, what, with Masari. In some ways, here. <laughs> one of the benefits of Twitter Spaces and Twitter is like if you can get a pretty decent like group together that knows a little bit about crypto, where you can basically ape into something the minute they say so. That's a good sort of trust factor to have. Um, yeah. So you're saying you bought Zephyr at the peak in December here or November? No, no, no. the peak, the peak at like six bucks back in like i originally bought it about six bucks oh. back in um like no the beginning of like late october i believe and then it sort of pumped after that and then um it goes to about 52 okay. and i started buying back in at about i first started buying up back in about 30 and i truly bought all the way back to the very bottom again so i bought this entire dip um and so my average now, nice. I haven't calculated it, but my average now is probably something like um, 20 bucks or something like that. So I'm probably a little under into the red right now. So even though I bought early, like... Zephyr seems to be rising. Because my Honestly, conviction... Honestly, I mean, like, it looks like... My conviction wasn't as high um, when I first bought it. And I felt like afterwards, okay, I'm over underexposed. And then it was like, okay, how much is it going to pull back? Is it going to pull like a CASPA pullback of about 50, 60%? Or is it going to go down even lower? And and it turned out to go down to like eighty percent. And I, I think the lowest buys I made were like around, I think eleven bucks or something. So I mean, again on this dip. So I think I just noticed something. It looks like here um, someone sold some Asari at eleven twenty, and then you go to the Zephyr, and at eleven twenty one, someone bought Zephyr. I think here just us talking <laughs> about it. Someone made a shuffle. Someone happened to own some here. <laughs> Yeah, dude, and it broke the resistance on Zephyr. So <laughs> it's funny. like going up now. That's so funny. I, yeah, dude. Yeah, and no, I think I gotta get some Zephyr myself. I'm not gonna the, sell any Masari yeah, though. <laughs> you mentioned some of the combo earlier, but like we were overlaying Zephyr on the Caspa chart, early Caspa, and it looks almost identical. 
Oh, cool. So what, what you have there. I love like, doing stuff like that. So when you do kind of that kind of fractal analysis, what you find is basically like if you look at peak to peak, so $52 back to 52 um, that was about 90 days for CASPA in terms of that initial cycle one pump. Um, by cycle one, I mean like the first impulse move in its life cycle or whatever, um, once it was listed on exchanges. And um, so from right. there, it took about 90 days. We are now like 90 days for Zephyr would put us right at about um, the 21st of the month, which is 10 days away. Or whatever. So we're we're like eleven days away would be where it would go from seventeen to fifty-two, assuming that we it followed that same fractal. So you know how this works. Like when these things start pumping, they just go straight up because price gets attention, yeah. attention <laughs> gets money, money makes price go up, then you get more attention, and then YouTubers start talking. Like it just becomes a vicious cycle, right? Tweets go up and it's yeah. just a hype cycle. So you're just waiting for that bomb to explode. And I think we're getting close just timing wise. If you just look at I it, I think the catalyst the stars is like lining up. So to say, yeah, the right? stars line up the time. Yeah, dude. Yep. The stars are aligned and the catalyst is sparking. <laughs> yeah, let's see how much it pumps in there. That wouldn't surprise me if we actually hit a hundred. Since Nagato, no like time. since he has got like something like 80 K followers and I think they're more rabid um, and stuff like they buy what he says and shit like that. So like I noticed immediately after he posted the price starter move pretty fast. Um, so I think a lot of his followers just buy whatever he says, <laughs> like, which is fine. I mean, you know, whatever. But the point is like, uh, that's how this shit works. Like usually what will happen is after one more pump, of Zephyr, what will happen is a new set of influencers will come in. They'll say, wait a minute, what is this thing? Like, why is it going up? They'll analyze it and go, oh, okay. And then they'll watch it. And then the dip will come. Then they'll buy the next dip. And then they'll pump it on YouTube. It's just the same old story, right? You've, you guys have seen this over and over again. So if right. you can come up, combine good pumpamentals with reasonable tokenomics, you couple it with decent fundamentals, then you have the making of a really, really great rally. Um, if you have like one piece of that, but mm -hmm. not the other, like if you're just like a pure meme coin, then you have to like absolutely go guns blazing, balls to the wall on attention. And if you don't have that perfect attention, what will happen is it won't run because like your peaks will be sold off and you know, people will be nervous about buying the bottom because they're worried about like, you know, is it gonna go to zero or something like that? Whereas when it comes to stuff like, you know, a Zephyr, you definitely have a diehard group of people that when it hits bottom, people want this thing, they wanna hold it, they wanna use the privacy features. So it has a little bit better like holding power at the bottom. So the, my general tendency is to say that like, hype gives you the tops, utility gives you the bottoms um, on the on most coins. So think of it that way. Hype gives you the top, utility the bottom. Yep. That's that's pretty good. Right, because who's, who are the I'm people? Looking, what's the max supply on Zephyr? Because who is, who is the hodler um, at the end of the day, right? The hodler is the guy that is gonna be like, okay, every dip they're gonna buy and they're gonna hold forever. And why are they hodling? Because they believe the thing has utility or some fundamentals um, or whatever, right? Like they have a the fundamental. So believers. I just, uh, so I think uh, Drew just fell down, but like um, I was just going to say, like the one thing that concerns me about Zephyr, I just noticed is the max supply is infinite. So what's the consensus mechanism no, it's, to it's the same as bring it to that? It's the same as Monero. It's uh, like 18 oh, okay. something million um, total coins. And then you have a tail emission schedule similar to uh, like what Monero now has as well. Um, so you don't have the Bitcoin problem of not knowing how to pay miners for keep the hash rate up. So that's what it is. That's why it says infinite. Oh, yeah, but it's it's like right now we're up to interesting. Okay, right now we're up I to like three point one million coins in circulation. When we got into this, in about like when I say we, a lot of the folks in this room, we got into this like right around November. 
And um, at that time, the circulating supply was like 2.5 million. So it's definitely gone up since last time. But the number of users has gone up dramatically because if you look at the number of people on the Discord, Telegram, the uh, what do you call it, the Twitter, you know, followers, all that shit, it's definitely gone up. So, mm-hmm. um, so you know, you're 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 always like combating new supply with new demand, and I think you know, right. I think we're gonna do that. And then with Zephyr Swap coming out, good natural healthy market, you know, yeah, with the guys building Zephyr Swap and that coming out that allows you to trade Monero with this and put in L- new LPs. What usually happens when a new Dex, pretty cool, when a new Dex or when a new exchange opens, what usually happens is is that like some amount of money needs to be deployed on that thing. And because of the incentives like yield and whatever else, like there's going to be people that buy the coin to deploy for that particular purpose. And a lot of times that doesn't happen until after the actual thing opens. So usually there's a bit of a pump after most new DEXs open for chains um, that lasts like about a month after the DEX opens. So that's a good timing because like, you know, we're sort of scheduled for a run anyway. And if, by the end of the month, you know, we have a possible DEX opening coming that just creates more news and more hype and whatever. So we'll see. Um, yeah, that's true. That's all good factors there. And I think to Noob's cool. point, Noob, I think you were asking like, you know, what kind of actual exchange is this? It seems like it's more of a kind of a small scale centralized exchange than a DEX, right, Noob? I mean, it's not like it's designed to allow you to swap from like Bitcoin, ETH, I think Doge, Monero. Um, things like that. And there's like four or five different coins and you can swap them into uh, Zephyr or Zephyr um, stable dollars, ZSD. And um, there's going to be liquidity pools and some fees incentives for anybody that um, LPs in those things. And then um, what's not clear is like, well, number one, it's not really decentralized at this point, I don't think. And I think long-term, once they get that kind of moving along, you could theoretically open up an actual chain or something to run it. Really, like the ideal thing would be there's if there was a Thorchain clone or Thorchain hard fork to with privacy. The problem is nobody has built a ring signature based Thorchain fork yet. So I talked to Thorchain's founder uh, Chad Bereford about that a few times, as well as like the Maya Protocol people. And there is like kind of like a black box project sort of that people are either like contemplating or building. I'm not sure which of those it is called Thorchain Black. That's really cool. It's called Black, which is like black as in black box which is a privacy-based okay. Thorchain um, fork. So I don't, I don't know if you've used Thorchain smoking, but that's one of the most like... No, I've actually, I've, I've, I've speculated upon it, but I've not used it. It's one it. of the most um, useful. Like, but I need to learn more about ring signatures. Yeah, ring signatures is what Monero and um, Zephyr use. Because by the way, Zephyr is basically a Monero fork, identical, um, except for the fact that there's a Zeph stable dollar, which is over-collateralized with the DJED protocol. So it's like a 5X over-collateralized um, system. So it's like you're not going to get death spirals and whatever. But at the same time, it's basically got the security features and uses the same software as Monero, the XM rig software. So a lot of us mine it too. Wasn't Chad, Chad Barrowford actually saying nice. that the issue was that they have to vote on 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 room, basically on what new um, stuff they onboard, right? So it's like it's a community decision. It's not like, okay, yes. we did Yes, we did so there's two and, parts of it. There's yeah. several parts of challenges to adding doing uh like something like monero on thorchain one challenge is the ring signature so there's a technical solution that has to be created he thinks it'd probably take at least a month of dev time to sort that out um the second thing he said was that like um because privacy is sort of like a target for governments and stuff 
you know, when you already have a decentralized chain for decentralized, you know, uh, swaps of um, things like Bitcoin and Ethereum, you're already sort of like a soft target for for institutions to attack you. Um, do we want to have a bigger target? On, oh, do yeah. we want a bigger target on our back by introducing privacy coins? And if legislation changes, then it's going to make a mess of that. Because the problem with Thorchain is it's not anonymous. So Zephyr's beautiful thing, smoking is the entire team and everything's anonymous. By the way, which I I would not buy Zephyr but if it was not. No, legally, no. legally, it doesn't make it fair to say, right? I mean, legally, if you help someone launder uh -huh. money, it doesn't make a difference if it's on a privacy chain. Or if it's on the transparency chain, right? right. So, it just, so it, from that point of view, it just doesn't make any difference, you know. As soon as yeah, someone which, which on is the reason, which is, is which is the reason why, why legal yeah. monies they have issues, right? It's one yeah, way or the other. That's that's why Thorchain uh, halted swaps um, whenever the uh, the hacker who who lifted ETH off of FTX uh, tried to swap through their exchange. That was one of the the FUD cases against Thorchain that. God, when was that? It was a while ago. Because um, once you start, once you start halting the chain for some exactly. things, you, you're fucked. You, you're going to be like, you're going to have to have an office, yeah, <laughs> like where new, someone takes care of. Then they'll so, make any excuse. So yeah. Right on that that liability front, but yeah, the the, the one of the two reasons why, because I, I asked this when I first started coming to Sepi Spaces back in November, um, you know, why didn't XHV integrate with Thorchain? That was part of it, right? attention from FinCEN and, and attention from regulatory bodies. but So, so people on chain, the validators, voted not to, to integrate with XHV, but also a big part of it was because of ring signatures, right? So XHV, um, uh, Monero, and Zeph all use ring signatures, uh, and they, they hadn't found uh, a way to integrate with that without compromising the privacy. And then Chad Barriford, actually, he's the one I first heard about Sarai-Dex from, and I've been talking about that since December. Um, so even if, you know, even if we have a little too much centralization here with ZephyrSwap, um, and, and even if Thorchain Black, you know, is, is something that's distant and way off in, in the future, Sarai-Dex has been working on, on creating a, a DEX that, that works with ring signatures uh, for like two or three years now. So that's another thing that's pretty hopeful. And they'd be able to transition Zeph or XHV on there instead of just Monero as soon as they have that figured out. So that's something to definitely keep an eye on as a secondary option. Yeah, I'm, I'm bullish about the fact that like the, the tech is exactly the same for Monero and for Zephyr. So the plus side of that is if you incorporate Monero, you can immediately incorporate Zephyr also. That's pretty much what Chad said as well. Um, the trick is like, yeah, who builds that and what? But it's I'm not sure how far they are into the the black box, sort of like they call it black. But like, you know, the the creation of that thing and what kind of tech has been envisioned for that. Um, yeah, but it's important. So that's the part of the problem that uh, yeah that when you have privacy, it creates new problems because remember with an open public ledger, it makes creating an AMM or an LP really straightforward because Imagine you go to a DEX and you walk into that DEX, you use, let's say, um, Uniswap, and you can't actually see for sure how much liquidity is on that platform, right? Because it's private. Now what are you going to do, right? So this is the problem. Like, how can you prove on-chain verifiable resources are in existence? And uh, the, that the gets whole, to be tricky. The whole, the whole swap thing has to be Yeah, there has to be some kind of 
No, you, you just have to make it transparent. The thing is, as soon as you move it out, you just have one uh, one additional hop on your own side. You just create a, a burner wallet and you just route it through. So everything that's happening, you just make all the view keys public, right? For all these liquidity DEXs and you solve that thing. Yeah. So basically everything's going in and out of that. DEX is completely visible to anyone. But then when you actually receive the ZSD, you just route them to another of your wallets and no one knows where it went. Right, so you do the privacy on the on the Zephyr chain or on XMR, rather than relying on the Dex doing it for you. I see what you're saying. That makes yeah, yeah. I I just it's, it's took kind my of like, vitamins because I realized I was getting a little it's slow. Kind of like so. who's <laughs> responsible for the privacy? Is it you or is it the Dex that maintains your privacy? And that's a, that's the thing. In a way, it's easier to build a thing that's decentralized where the Dex doesn't do all the privacy maintenance. That's sort of part of your own problem. That way, that the decks can't get attacked by various regulators or whoever. That's just like you just let it run. You have like I think you could probably accomplish something like this on like maybe something simple like an Ethereum Classic fork or a Thorchain. The Komodo Atomic decks works pretty well. The only my biggest uh, frustration using the Komodo Atomic decks for a few years is just that like if the power goes out, you have to reset your buy orders and sell orders. Oh, really. Because you got to keep it running at all times. Yeah, that's the, well. So, so it's not really a you got to like keep it open. That's more like an atomic swaps are not really like. Yeah, we have to. I'm always careful about the use of the word "dex" it, because it's like that's not exactly what that is. It's more of an exchange that is is centralized. Seth, can't there be like a uh, uh, in a in a way it's arguable, but yeah, I mean it. It's debatable, I guess, how to. I can't articulate too much. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've, um, decentralized in the way like a Thor chain would be. But hey, Kareem, by the way, turn your uh, speaker volume down. You're getting a lot of feedback. There's this principle in like Taoism. There's this principle in like Taoism where it's like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, like just inevitably it kind of starts to happen. There's this principle in like Taoism where it's like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, inevitably it kind of starts to happen. Tripping on the bird app, listening to nerds laugh, wondering why the fuck my timeline's so cursed. It's like everybody's holding heavy bags in Web3. That's why they can't fly, they just drowning in the bird bath, fishing for some dry powder. Watch how we ignite the tower, blowing up the bank accounts, forgetting how to fight the power. Y'all don't even realize how deep this shit goes. They preaching open sauce, but don't listen to the code, and now it's mutiny community uprise. There's no more humility, futility, plus size. Motherfuckers leaking from the wrench down to the bare metal. Which side the line you bleeding out on when the dust settles? Motherfucking west side shit, needle and noose. Sticking with my armory, yam, beta, and bruise. Repping psychedelic artistry, believing the truth. Like these motherfuckers even need a reason to sue? GM fam. Really worth all the effort? Is it really worth all the fighting? Is it really worth all the drama? And the answer, I think, is a clear no. We started using Zoom, now we finna zoom out Teaching all these plebidites what this game's really all about Little baby bitches when they choose to have fits All you're left with is kibble when you lose all them bits And that kibble's just sawdust, this shit is all rust Not a great look, you're what we call all nuts And I for one did not see that coming Cracking open books, yo, that's a lot of money Meanwhile over here rewiring features More critical thinking, huh? 
less knee-jerk, more evolution, less shitcoin preachers, pretending to be teachers, y'all just predatory leeches, I mean please, just look at the track record, a bunch of VC rap fucks, sucking up the cheddar, the recipe is two steps, rinse and repeat, now we all in your butts, and we bring in receipts, GM fam, have a seat. If you're listening to this, my, my plea to you would be like, don't have, don't, don't have to take a side on it, just say like, is it? Is it really worth this war of attrition? It might cost us a lot more than what can be gained by like fighting this to the better end. And sometimes it's better to just like move on. Ten spaces.